Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Well, there you have it, Mike. Thunderous applause. Dan Breaker sold it hard. <laughs> he did. He sold it hard. And 12 people applauded. We'll get to that coming up soon enough. Good morning, everybody. He's Mike Seals again. I'm Glenn Mack now on a dreary, rainy day in Philadelphia. Blech. Yeah, it's, it was pretty ugly coming in. If you're going out, my advice is don't go out. Stay Just, in. Yeah, really. Stay in. Have an extra cup of coffee. Stay in bed. Yep. Hang with watch, the kids. Listen to us. Watch some college football later. There in the you day. go. All right. So, last night before the raindrops, Mike, Phillies-Mets. Uh, Phillies won five out of seven coming in, inching closer to clinching that wild card spot. Magic number down to three? Yeah. So, three to be in the wild card. I think it may just be four to clinch the top spot. I'm I'm not sure, but they could do it within a matter of days. So, last night, it's Taiwan Walker on the mound, and, and I want to get to something with him with you in a moment. Um, they said on the broadcast that he thought coming in, he needed, there was something mechanical that he's seeing that he needs to tweak. He's been a little inconsistent in the strike zone. Uh, however, leadoff walk hurts right in the first inning, and then... Right in the first inning, here comes Pete Alonzo. Here's Pete Alonzo, and he swings and skies the first pitch to right. It's falling, and it's going to drop just fair. Inside the line, it bounds sideways out of play into the seats. It'll be a ground rule double and an RBI for Pete Alonzo. Well, he hit the heck out of that one. No, not really. Yeah, bad luck for Taiwan Walker. Yeah. Just bad luck. Made a good pitch, got in on Alonzo, and the win... Kept it fair. Yeah. So the Mets are up one nothing. Uh, Tyler McGill for the Mets, who has struggled on the road this year with an ERA over seven, is magical. He goes through the lineup the first time, no hits. Mets have a one nothing lead through four. Philly's got nothing going on offensively. Not at right? all. No. Not a thing. Uh, which plays to the issue that I know uh, Howard brings up along a lot, which is if they're not hitting home runs, they're not scoring, and that seemed to be the case early in the game. You know my response to that. Say it. Oh, if Steph Curry isn't hitting threes, he's not scoring. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take it. Right, this is what they do. If they're going to hit 230 home runs this year, guess what? They'll win a lot of games. Yeah. All right, so the Mets get another run in the fifth. They lead two to nothing. Taiwan Walker, uh, he gives up three straight hits, but he, he picks off uh, Omar Narvaez off a second, which helps. Overall, Taiwan Walker, six innings, five hits, two runs, just one walk, nice outing. Mm-hmm. Mike Sielski. Glenn Mack now. What's your postseason rotation? Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, one and two. I think Nola's experience in the postseason last year and the fact that he pitched as well as he did earlier in the week against the Braves Mm. 
restore a little bit more confidence. We've got to see how he finishes out the season. Uh, I'm not sure yet that I'm giving Walker or Sanchez a start. I know there is a thought that Ranger Suarez can bounce back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation if need be. I would feel a little more comfortable early in the postseason starting Ranger Suarez before either Taiwan Walker or Chris Sanchez. Okay, I'm good with Rangers, my number three guy. Yeah. There you go. One, two, three. Hopefully you get good NOLA, not bad NOLA. That seems to vary start to start. Yeah, but there's nothing you can do about that. It's not as if you have a great set of alternatives. Back to last night's game. Phillies are down two to nothing. It's the bottom of the sixth. Two out, two on. JT Real Muto is up. That's a bad Harry Callis. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's no such thing as a bad Harry Callis. Uh, They're all tributes to the great man. I was great at, voice. It's so funny. I was out last night. Did a, a, a Paid off one of the charity things that we do with just a great guy, Pat McLaughlin. Wonderful, generous guy. And a pal of his. And the pal of his is like, hey, you want to hear my Harry Callis imitation? It's like. Okay. And it's like he went through the whole like first three innings. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it, uh, it was good, but was, it's was like, were okay. you or Pat sitting at the table like giving him the the cut sign or uh, anything like I, that? I think Pat had excused himself. <laughs> it's like it was a good imitation that went on way too long. Oh, anyway, man. nice fellow though. You know what the guy says to me? This is great. He says, Jody, you're my favorite sports broadcaster. I was like, oh, wow, thanks. He goes, like, yeah, glad you're my third. Third? <laughs> <laughs> the second one's not even in the business anymore. Oh, anyway, my gosh. All right, back to the game. Back to the I was not insulted. Hey, I made the top three. Hey, what are you, you know, right. Okay, so here we go. It's the bottom of the sixth. Phillies are down 2 nothing. Two out, two on. JT Real Muto is up. Now, he's got these horrible splits. He's hitting 194 at home, mm-hmm. 301 on the road. He's got... Headed into last night, five home runs at home, 14 on the road. Before we play what happened, we'll keep you in suspense. <laughs> Do you have any idea, like, what logic this could fall under? No, I don't. I have absolutely no idea why. It's not as if he's ever had any issues playing in Philadelphia. It's not as if he's been a guy who, since he's gotten here, went through anything remotely similar to what Trey Turner did, where he was obviously pressing and trying too hard. There's been none of that. There's no reason to to think, oh, well, of course J.T. Romuto would be bad at Citizens Bank Park. He was, he's been fine there since he got here. I don't know. It's a mystery. I don't, and it's not like it's a bad offensive ballpark. There's, right. there's nothing that would play into He's not tense about the fans. He's the last guy you would think would be worked up. I, I don't know, unless there's something okay. about... Uh, I don't, well, okay. go ahead. We'll play the clip and then I'll say what Nonetheless, he comes out yesterday. Philly's down two with two men on and two out, and here's what he does. JT is 0 for 2 with a pair with a one strikeout tonight. Struck out looking his last time up. Here's the pitch. Swung on. Hit deep. Left field. And JT has... Put the Phillies on top. It just clears as JT Real Muto with a three-run home run that turns this game around. Well, there you go. So the home run that he hit came on a pitch that it hasn't seemed like he has handled well lately, and that's the letters high fastball. It seemed like he had had a he's been having a difficult time catching up to that pitch. I don't have any numbers or hmm. stats or analytics to suggest that he really is struggling to hit a high fastball. 
But, man, he turned that one around, and he needed it. He needed it. Ring the bell, baby. We're up three to today. I'm not we. They are up three to two. Things are looking good. Uh, And then we move to the bottom of the seventh, and you want to talk about weird statistical things. Here you go. (laughs) Kyle Schwarber sitting on 99 RBIs. Johan Rojas on second base, I believe. We're looking for Schwarber to, you know, power up the sure. big home run. It's time for big home run, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, here That's we what go. He does. Infield comes in and the pitch is blooped. Oh. Oh. Left side, it's through into left for a base hit. And Kyle Schwarber with his 100th RBI. How about that, Schwarbaum? Isn't that a thing of beauty, to though? To hit the century mark. Uh. Squibber. It looked like a Roger Federer backhand approach shot. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, he just sliced it yeah. into left field like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the cheapest hit he's had all year, but they count. They count. His his numbers are so fun, I think. Uh, here Glenn. you go. Here you go. 104 runs scored this year. Great. That was his 100th RBI. Awesome. 123 walks. That's what you want out of a leadoff hitter. One in, 198 batting average. <laughs> like... <laughs> Hey, when he puts it in play, he does damage. <laughs> I've, I've just I've never seen a guy put together these kind of numbers. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. There was a piece on MLB.com. MLB.com brought Mike Lupica, favorite sports writer of George Costanza, out of retirement yeah. <laughs> to write about Kyle Schorber. And basically the whole piece is Lupica talking with Buck Showalter about Schorber's amazing season and how – uh, Showalter has never seen anything like it, and yeah. I, I can't say that I have either. I I can't say I have. And listen, I was part of the parade for a long time. Of this guy shouldn't be batting lineup. You got you know Trey Turner should I mean leadoff. Trey mm-hmm. Turner should hit leadoff. Bryce Stott should hit leadoff. I I for the longest time espoused that, and you know what? I'm I'm shut up. I'm done. Yeah, I, it, it worked. I cannot argue with what works, as odd as it is. Forty five home runs. Yeah, a, an OPS over eight hundred. And by the way, a terrific number of those home runs with men on base. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It works. Yeah. It works. Okay. So that's a weird weird thing, but lovely. And so they're up 4-2. to two. Uh, After Walker pitches, uh, six, Strom comes in, gives you cleaning in, in the seventh. And then Gregory Soto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindor hits a home run off of him. Yes. It's 4-3. to three. By the way, Lindor's first home run in 15 games. Yeah, he has not quite lived up to no. the contract and billing that uh... – yeah, he was supposed to, which is you know surprising for the Mets. I enjoy. <laughs> oh yeah, we should have said Mets officially eliminated from the playoffs last night. My heart cries yeah. for you. Um, there was an episode later in the game where Lindor tried to go to first base on a walk uh, after three balls. Yes, it's like ball three takes off his foot guard and drops everything and starts running to first. Like no, that's only three. The- the Phillies' first hit of the game was a fly ball to left field by Kyle Schwarber that Rafael Ortega just misplayed. He slid in and over and missed the ball yeah. completely. Larry Anderson laughing on the radio broadcast at that. There was the play later in the game. I forget which Mets player it was. Fouled a ball off his Oh, line. I think it was McNeil. Yeah. Oh, just, they, oh that looks the, so painful. The Mets were metsing all over they themselves. Were, they messed up. Night. Yes, they did. All right, so – but they score, so it's four to three. They got to bring in Jeff Hoffman to finish the eighth. I'm bringing up Soto Hoffman for a reason. Ninth inning, Craig Kimbrell, fifth pitcher of the night, comes in for the save. He's got one out, weak hitting 
disappointing rookie Brett Beatty is up. Boys, let's pin this one down and go home. Well, it doesn't work that way. Two balls, two strikes. The right-hander kicks. Here's the pitch. Swing at a fly ball center field. Pretty well hit. Rojas going back, looking up at the angled wall. It is gone. And Brett Beatty has tied the game. Here in the top of the ninth inning with a solo home run off of Craig Kimbrell. It's his ninth of the season. Yeah, we discussed excellent broadcasting for a moment. Because <laughs> both of those guys were great. So that Larry Anderson sound has to rank up there with the noise that Chris Collinsworth made uh, when Brandon Graham forced the fumble on Tom Brady in yes, Super Bowl 52 yes. for just, what does that mean? <laughs> it was just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they tie it up. Yes. Uh, bad pitch by Kimbrell. Bad oh my pitch gosh. by Kimbrell. So are you, are we worried about Kimbrell? That's blown yes. save number four, which isn't a tremendous amount. ERA 327, which is okay, but does seem to be running on fumes a little this bit. This was my worry, Glenn, and we've been talking about this week after week in the show, and it's part of the reason why at least I have harped on Rob Thompson's tendency to take starters out of games it seems to me a little too early because early in the season you were using the bullpen a lot Mm -hmm. and you were using Craig Kimbrell a lot and he has not pitched this much in a season since I think 2011 and yeah leaking oil is a good way to put it he just isn't getting hitters out in the same way that he was early in this season, and you have to wonder about fatigue. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very good about the Phillies heading into the playoffs. I'm ignoring the fact that the Braves exist. Because <laughs> I think the Braves are like the 1927 Yankees. They're, they're, you can beat them in a, in a series. These things happen if you right. get the good pitching and stuff. But, my God, they just every night they're, they're, they're scoring yeah. nine runs. Um, but ignoring that, I'm feeling very good about the Phillies. But the bullpen is the thing. That's making me nervous. Well, the the two, I would say one and a half bright sides out of the last couple of nights were the one was Jose Alvarado yeah. locking it down yeah. Thursday night. It looks like his cutter is back, and as we've talked about, that's his best pitch. That's that would That is what makes him an elite reliever. The half is Sir Anthony Dominguez dancing through the raindrops last night and striking out Pete Alonso to end the 10th. If they can get those two guys right, boy, I think everybody would feel better. Well, let's go to the tenth. Okay. Let's see what happens. Because Sir Anthony is in, and I have been worried about Sir Anthony. He has not looked very good. The Mets get the bases loaded. You know, you start with the phantom runner on second. Hate it, but hate it, I know. I appreciate that. I don't I don't know anybody likes it anymore. No. It was like COVID, we had to do it, but now nobody likes it. But no. then nonetheless. Uh, bases are loaded. The dangerous Pete Alonzo, we heard from him earlier in the day, is up. Sir Anthony, what are you going to do? Oh, he's going to get him out. I'm sorry. I don't have that highlight. Excuse me. I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs> I, teased, I teased it up. He uh, got him out. Spoiler alert. He got him out. Yes, strike he did. So let's go to the bottom of the 10th. Let's get out of this thing. Bottom of the 10th. Trey Turner starts as the Phantom Runner in second. They walk Bryce Harper. Up comes Alec. Boom. Two walk-offs already this season. And here's the pitch. 0-1-1. Adovino at the belt. Looks back at second. Another look back. Here's the pitch. Boehm swings. Little flare. Right yes. field. It's in for a hit. Turner yeah, off to yeah. the races. Coming around third. He's being waved home. He will score. And Alec Boehm wins it again. 
Bottom of the 10th inning, Alec Bohm with a walk-off base hit to right. And the Phillies win it 5-4. to four. We used to have a promo on WIP that's a drama guaranteed. <laughs> you got that last night. You did. You did. And we've talked a lot about the development of Bohm and Bryson Stott. And I think that one of the two, one of the reasons, I should say, that you've seen them grow in the way that they have this season, honestly, Glenn, is the rules changes. They are two players who generally put the ball in play. You saw the value of that from Stott in the last game of the Braves series where he slashes that grounder down the third baseline in mm-hmm. extra innings and drives in two runs. And just doing what Bohm did there. You, you are rewarded now for putting the ball in play because the shifts are gone. And so a blooper like that wins you a ball game. Whereas a year ago, two years ago, so many more players would be swinging to drive the ball to the outfield. All so right. I love it. One more thing, and then we'll get to the phones. We, we covered a lot of issues with the Phils. We would love your opinion on all of that. We love talking baseball. We do. So uh, 215-592-9494. But as you heard at the start of the show, uh, last night was Scott Rowland. Can you play that one more time, Ben? I, I, need, the, uh, I, I, need, <laughs> I need this one more time, the, the big-time announcement. Scott Rowland. So he didn't get booed. No. Uh, he got politely applauded as you would when they're announcing the parents of the groom at the wedding. <laughs> In the end, Mike Sealski. Yes. All of the hand-wringing over what we would do and Larry Boa's entreaties and all of the articles and the revisionist history that Roland <laughs> was a good guy and misunderstood and Jason Stark's lengthy piece and Scott Lauber. And there were 38,000 people at the game last night and most of them decided to step out for a hot dog when it was Scott Rowland's. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me, by the way, Roland was gracious. I heard the speech and mm-hmm. he, you know, he seemed to say that maybe he'd done a couple things. He would have done some things differently. Yeah. He said back in the day, but okay. My opinion is this, and then I'd love yours, because mm-hmm. you and I have debated Scott sure. Rowland over time. Uh, it was about the most sparsely attended celebration I've ever seen, considering there were 38,000 people at the game. The next five guys who get in, 10 guys, the Rollins, the, excuse me, yeah, the, the Rollins and the Hamels and the Howards and all those guys, nobody's going to step outside right. f- for a beer. Everybody's going to be there. What it boiled down to to me was this. Scott Rowland represented a bad time in Philadelphia baseball. Mm -hmm. It's not his fault, but it was a bad era with poor ownership and dislikable players. Well, he was one of those. And fifth fifth place finishes. And as much as, okay, he's a Hall of Famer and he played really well here, nobody wants to revisit 1996 to 2002. I think those are the years he Mm -hmm. was here. Nobody wants to celebrate the Lieberthals and the Abreus and the Rollins because baseball stunk back then. It was a bad stadium. It was disappointing finishes. It's not his fault, but that's the way it is. You know, what great moments do we have to cling to? And so the bottom line with Scott Rowland, after all of like, what are we going to do, was apathy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in what you just said there, Glenn. He was the best player or the biggest name in a dead spot in Phillies baseball history. He was not of the era of Schmidt and Carlton and Boa and Luzinski, and he was just before things really got good. Remember, his last season was 2002, 
Citizens Bank Park doesn't open until 2004. Right. You're going sitting five miles away at the vet. Right. It was an awful place. Yeah, it just, it was not a great time. I'm of the opinion that he, in retrospect, you can look back and understand that he was underappreciated while he was here. One of the things, um, I did a column about him when he got into the Baseball Hall of Fame earlier this year, and one of the lines that I found in doing the research about that column was a writer who was covering the Phillies at the time said, the Phillies are going to have to make a choice between building their team around Scott Rowland or Larry Boa. And that, to me, that question in and uh, of itself— Larry being the manager at right, the time, right. That reflects how backward the thinking was around the team at the time. What Major League Baseball team worth its salt builds around a manager? When you have a young, up-and-coming third baseman who's the best defensive player at his position in the majors— who has an OPS approaching 900, like, of course you build around Scott Rowland. But the Phillies and the market didn't think that way. But you can put that aside and understand, as you said, why people don't have the love and reverence for him, and it's just because the team stunk while he was here. Yeah, and and it it um, in the end, it didn't matter. It, it, it didn't yeah. matter. And in the end, the Phillies have to stop celebrating those days and those guys. I appreciate he's good enough that he's worthy of being on the Wall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So is Abreu. Lieberthal, I don't know yeah. about that one, but yeah. so is Abreu. I forget who else they have from this. Schilling, or did that end up? I don't. I think I, Schilling is I on. Think I is. think he yeah. is. He deserves to be on. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever issues aside, he certainly deserves sure. to be on. Um, and Schilling pitched in the playoffs. Excuse me. Schilling was here when they when they were in the playoffs. Right. So that, that's an entirely different thing anyway. But. Let's move it up. Let's mm-hmm. end. Let's stop celebrating the bad era of baseball that nobody liked, that nobody cares about, that nobody wants to revisit. That I I need the applause one more time. I just need it one more time. The golf clap. I just need it because again, Scott Rowland. Yeah, that's, right. That's perfunctory. I guess yes. would be the word. Yes. You know, it's yes. just, and it's a reflection of. The player he was at the time he played here. I don't think it's a, it's much more than that. Ben, you and I talked before the show. You really have no memory of Roland as a Philly here. Am I right? I was too young. Yeah. I remember him as a Red when yeah. we played them in the playoffs and as a Cardinal. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't mean anything to you. Nor does that. Well, obviously, you're too young to remember that era of baseball. But it was it was, it was was Terry Francona and, it, and before he became a genius. Yes. Right, and it was just you know Chad OJ. Yeah, and, when your best pitcher is Robert Person. Right, like it's Desi Relliford. It's not a know, great like, time in no, Philadelphia. It, it wasn't. At let's all. let's stop celebrating it. Rollins in. They put up the weird looking plaque. Did you see the plaque? I did not. His eyes look. At least the the picture, the photo I saw of it. He, his eyes look very raccoonish. Oh, jeez. So I, I may have just been the lighting, but that's. So much was built up about what the response would be. Are mm-hmm. they going to boo him? Well, and I think that too, the response was, Meh. yeah. And I think some of that is because people like Jason Stark and Scott Lauber, who are terrific baseball writers and know the sport inside and out, remember what it was like when he when he Roland was here. Yeah, and there was genuine dislike and hatred for him. And now it's more indifference. We're and and we're a different fan base. Right, you and I have talked about it in one of these days. We'll have a Big oh, discussion. Absolutely. All right. 215-592-9494. We can talk about this for a while. We certainly are going to work in the Eagles and where they stand. Mike's a little more concerned about the offense than I am. 
Uh, but we will get into that. We're going to talk at 11 o'clock to Gary Myers, terrific football writer out of New York, who has written a book, uh, Once a Giant, about uh, the 1986 Giants and how they've bonded forever. We'll talk to him about the division, too. Ben Davis will join us to talk baseball at noon, and we'll take all of your calls at 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. <laughs> ah, nicely done, Ben. Um, uh, you know what's so funny is there's just a universal truth that it's hysterical whenever a guy gets hit in the in the groin. I'm going right? to do this entire segment with my legs crossed, right? Glenn. <laughs> right? But it is funny every w- single time. We can't help but laugh at at a guy who just gets hit in the in the stuff. Ted Knight and Caddyshack. It's one of the funniest. Right? <laughs> I should have said two. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why it's funny because it's painful. It's funny because we've all been there. That's yeah, why it's funny. That, this is true. We've well, it's funny because it. it's the Mets. Well, that makes it even better. That's true. That absolutely makes it better. And those guys did a great call there. All right, let's talk to the people at two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. John and Maniunk, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Good morning. Hey, Mike. I think that's the first uh, Federer uh, reference on WIP ever. What what reference, John? Federer is like Oh yeah. <laughs> Trying to class up the joint a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I what, hear you. What do you got on the fills, John? Well, the first thing, I want to talk rolling a little bit, but um, on Rojas, you think they're going to be afraid to play Rojas in center field because he's a young rookie? Like, uh, you think uh, uh, Topper's going to be afraid to put him in there? They shouldn't be because he plays the heck out of center field, and they're probably going to need that outfield defense in the playoffs. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down, John, to – how often Bryce Harper can play first base, that's been the issue all season, is they've held him back from playing first here and there. Can he be out there every day? And if so, then they can put Rojas in center. Okay. And on um, Roland, I know Roland was rookie of the year. He had a, he had a very good career. He's, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Him and Schilling, I know they, they're both kind of jerks with their opinions and their beliefs and everything, but whatever. I think they both deserve to ask to get out of Philadelphia, even Charles Barkley did, because back then, like Glenn remembers when he was here, they weren't spending any money to, to have the team be any good. They're just waiting for the new stadium. Yeah, well, that's fine. I mean, I, I didn't, it, I didn't like Roland when he was here. I thought he was an aloof kind of jerky guy, but it, it, it doesn't matter anymore. It's, no. it's, it's, it's old news, and my old opinions don't don't matter anymore because he's long gone, and. You know, the town has come to peace with him, and that's fine. So have I. Great. You know, yeah. put him on. I don't care. It, when you say it was a different era of Phillies baseball, it really was different. It was a different 
ballpark. It was a different feeling. It was a different generation of fans who had followed the team up to that point. And everything has changed now. I don't think you can overstate how much Citizens Bank Park's opening and building changed the atmosphere around the yeah, team. Yeah, we're not angry anymore. No. We're not frustrated anymore. We're not. It's not the. It's when I when I began at WIP, it was cranky men in cars. Yep, that was it, and that has gradually been replaced by, hey, let's give Trey Turner a standing ovation because it'll really buck him up. Yeah, and, and can I tell you <laughs> something? As somebody who began as a member of the cranky old men in cars generation, I couldn't be more delighted. I can, I couldn't do a show anymore. That's like, I I, couldn't, I just I. I don't want to do that. No, and I want to be happy. <laughs> of course, everyone wants to be happy. This is Phil. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Glenn. That's and now it is. That's yes. right. I think that began as kind of a. It was ironic, and now it's true. Exactly. Brilliant statement, Mike. Nick in Collegeville is with us. Hello, Nick. Gentlemen, uh, Mike, you might be a little young for this. Remember uh, Jimmy the Greek? Sure. I mean, he used to have the gambling, the gambling segment. So the best back in the day, the best you know four minutes of. Of football was watching Jimmy Greek give up bad stats and yes. bad gambling. To it. <laughs> but and let I, me say, I let love, me say this: uh-huh. one of the uh-huh. interesting parts of it is he was not allowed to give the point spreads. Right. So right. he had to, to he had to like really dance around that as he did it. It was really it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, like oh, I think the Eagles going to win really big this week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning take you know give up the seven. Yeah. Um, and I love all your sports takes, and I live, listen every Saturday and Sunday to the triad. Thank you. Um, okay. Thanks, Nick. Um, but the best segment in radio is, of course, coming up soon, which is what are we watching? Ah, <laughs> Mike's got a special one. Today. I have a we have I have a special one, Nick, and Glenn and I are going to bat around a couple of I guess you'd say you top say. five or top three lists. Yeah, we'll, we'll, all we'll, over it. We'll right. leave it a little okay. mysterious until okay. I'll get the my appropriate pen time. and paper out. Now, uh, Scott Rowland is relevant in Scott Bale right now, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, for real. We, yeah, right, can I, I, I agree. That's, Glenn, can we? That pa- was the that was the bottom line of it. Glenn, can, I want to pause here. Yeah, this is yeah. why we are the best sports talk show in radio. Is that in the first forty minutes mm. of our show mm-hmm. this morning, we have had a Roger Federer reference and a Scott Bayo reference. Where else are you going to get this in ra- no, in American radio? Yeah. Look, he's. If you really think about it, and I know people are going to probably yell and scream at the radio when I say this, Scott Rowland is Chase Utley during a losing era. I mean, Chase Utley, for how much everybody loves him and this, that, and that, he said one interesting thing his entire career, and that's when he was on the podium at the bank during the uh, – All right, uh, so if you want want to limit it to that aspect of their personality, that's fine. I think Well, they both played hard. They both never cheated a play or a pitch. I mean, those guys, like, they went on the field, got dirty, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I thought they were very. I think they're very similar. If you I, really I, think. I get your point. You're, mm-hmm. I can't quite okay. go there. Right. I think Utley Thanks, had leadership man. skills that Scott Rowland never dreamed about, but nonetheless, yeah. It, but it, I, I hear his point. Yeah, they, they were I, similar I kind of hard-edged players. Yeah, right. One of the complaints about Rowland when he was here was that he didn't let fans in. Right. You. You. He wasn't going to be open. With the media. The Inquirer tried to do a personality profile about him, and his quote was something about, if you want to know more about me, sorry about your luck. Yes. Like, yes. okay, well, this is going to be a great story. But the flip side is, to Nick's point, Utley never really did that either. The opinions and the love that everybody developed about Chase Utley over time were mm-hmm. based almost entirely 
on his performance in the field until the 2008 parade when he dropped the mushroom cloud speech. <laughs> yeah. He also he also did one uh, during the All Star game. Yes. Uh, at Shea or City Field, I forget. No, it was Yankee Stadium. It was Yankee Stadium. Okay, yeah. that's right. But it's New York. Excuse yes. me. Where he's introduced and they boo. He goes, boo. Yeah. Bleep you. Bleep you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was there for that game. I remember that. Oh, my gosh. That was great. All right, let's sneak in Doug here. Doug, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Hello. Hey. Hi, Doug. Good morning to you. I was at the game last night. I'd like to follow up on some of your comments about the manager's managing of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, Strom comes in and has an eight-pitch inning, and he doesn't run him out again. Yeah. And then after that, he brings Hoffman, who went through a full warm-up, throws one pitch, and then doesn't bring him out again. Yeah. And uh, it seems like he goes by a textbook rather than, you know, in-game management. You've got guys that are doing well in a game you very much need to win. And he just seems like he goes by the textbook, which to me is not a good. I a good love your that. point, which is if a guy's thrown three pitches or eight pitches or whatever, why in the world can't he come out for a second inning? Yeah. Except, Doug, that's the way they do it. And he's not alone. And it frustrates me, too. But I guess they figure once he sits down, like, oh, he can't get back up. Yeah. Well, I don't, well again, we're but it, in a game I, we want to win I'm, late in the season. I hear you. And may I jokingly say, as a very, very successful Little League coach for eight <laughs> years, ah. uh, I would have done it, you know, the Little League style, which, you know, you have to be creative if you want to be successful yeah. late in the you season. You know, your argument was really good up until the last 30 seconds. <laughs> Anybody who pulls Little League out is like, here's how I would do it, is not helping his case. No, and he, and here's the thing. To Doug's point about why managers do this, and Glenn, you, you know this. When you have analytics or statistics or research that can back up why you're doing something, why you're taking a guy out because he has pitched this many innings or thrown this many pitches – and when he gets to this point, we're in greater danger of losing the game. Yeah. A manager's going to do that because he can then justify the decision afterward. I'll never forget it. And and shout out to Charlie Manuel, uh, who has come back, you know, from yes. his health issues and seems to be on the mend. Seems like a all, good recovery. We're all thinking of him. I still remember him saying in the 2008 World Series, someone asked him, why did you send Jeff Jenkins up to pinch hit in game five? Uh when Jenkins hadn't hit all year. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, the, the pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays throws low fastballs, and Jeff Jenkins hits low fastballs. Charlie didn't have any analytics. He didn't have anything other than his managerial instincts to say that, but it worked out. Yep. And you see less and less of that in Major League Baseball now because these guys want to be able to justify why they're making the decisions they're making. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We will add in your Philadelphia Eagles coming up in the next segment. We'll continue to take your calls. Gary Myers uh, is going to join us in the eleven o'clock hour. Talk about his uh, terrific new book. I've been reading it. Uh, Once same. a giant and hmm? no, same. It's great. Yeah, it's and really uh, and we'll uh, also talk about 
his take on the Eagles and the rest of the division. Hey, it's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another cold, long winter season rolls in, and the great people at Guided Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, God is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time. Restrictions apply. For more details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack. Now, Eagles do not play tomorrow, Sunday, continuing. The, what have they been off for now? Six months? Feels that way. Jeez, oh man, that last game Thursday to the following game on Monday night just seems like it's forever. But they play Monday night in Tampa. Who's their starting quarterback again? Bobby Hoying? I forget. You talking about Tampa? No, the Eagles. Eagles. I can't remember. Yeah, you know. Brad Gable. How about who Tampa's is? Ah, Baker Mayfield. That I remember. Okay. So I want to talk about the Eagles a little bit because uh, you wrote a column this week, and I normally find your stuff brilliant and find myself nodding in agreement. But this one, I'm going, what the hell is he talking about? Ah, come on. Uh, or at least I found myself disagreeing a little bit, which was reflecting on the first two games and the play of Jalen Hurts and the passing game and how that might be cause for concern, if not for the fans, maybe for the ownership. So please lay out your... Okay. So the Eagles are 2-0, and as we all know, and any NFL team is going to be happy being 2-0, and especially when... They haven't played their best football through those two games, and I don't think anybody could argue that the Eagles have played all that well in beating the Patriots and the Vikings. The reason they won that second game was because, as we talked about last week, they got to the point where they basically said, all right, enough of this stuff, and we're just going to run the ball all over the Vikings. We're gonna, Jalen Hurts is going to turn around and hand it to DeAndre Swift and to Boston Scott, and we're going to create instant urban renewal and just run them over. And that's terrific that the Eagles can do that, that they are built to do that. However, every piece of available evidence of Jeffrey Lurie's ownership of this team and the philosophy that he believes in in winning football games tells you that even though the Eagles are 2-0, and and even though they can run the ball against, it seems, just about anybody, they're going to have to get Jalen Hurts going throwing the football. Because that's what Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman have built this team around doing. You don't sign Jalen Hurts to a $255 million extension. You don't trade for A.J. Brown last year and draft Devontae Smith and sign Dallas Goddard and draft Cam Juergens and pay a whole bunch of money to Jordan Maialata to have Jalen Hurts turn around and hand the ball to a running back who you you acquired for a fourth-round draft pick. They have built their team to throw the ball. That is what they want to do. And my only argument, Glenn, was that coming up in this game against Tampa and in the weeks ahead, there's going to be pressure on Nick Sirianni and on Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator, to get Hurts going, throwing the ball by hook or by crook. And people ought to be prepared for that. Okay. Do you feel good about that argument there? Yeah. All right. So here's what I think. I, I think I think relax. I think <laughs> I, th- I think they're, 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 they're two and zero. Oh. 
Uh, yeah, you, they you sound like ev- you sound like every friend I had in college. Like, dude, chill out. It's Friday night. Come on, let's go get a beer. Yes, go. I brought you beer. Go just start drinking heavily. That's my <laughs> okay. advice. Okay, the Eagles are two and zero. They were yes, they ran the ball to beat the Vikings. You know what? And it, it, perhaps that isn't why they signed them, but it worked because the way the Vikings were playing defense. That's what had to happen on that particular day. There are a lot of great quarterbacks in this league who are not off to great starts. Patrick Mahomes does not look great through the first two games, no, by the not. way. Justin Herbert, uh, uh, Joe Burrow, well, he's not even playing. Josh yeah. Allen, week one, looked awful. Yeah, not you know good. what? They'll be fine. It's a long season. You don't, don't judge everything off the first game or two of the season. I thought second half of the Minnesota game, Hurts looked a little bit better. The overreaction... Not just you, but I hear it, you know, on our station because we got to fill 24 hours a day. The overreaction is ridiculous. It's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. He will have games this year where he wows you and awes you. And Jeff Lurie says, boy, that was a good investment that I made. If it doesn't happen in the first two games, <laughs> but they win those games and score, what they score, 34 against the Vikings? Yeah. Okay. We're fine. It's Okay. I'm, let's, I want to play. This was Jalen Hurts this week kind of talking about this very thing. I think addressing Mike Sielski's column. Go ahead. Mike Sielski. Yes. The main thing is winning. I understand that. And I'm not ripping the Eagles for winning in the way that they won. All I'm suggesting is that the people who run the show for the team are looking at this and not saying what you're saying. Mm. They're not sitting back and saying, hey, it's two, we're 2-0, and everything's cool. <clears throat> yeah. The chances are good that they are sitting back and saying, we're 2-0, and but the quarterback, eh, and I don't. I meaning Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman don't want the quarterback to be eh. All right. If I may address you and Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman and quote the noted football authority Kevin Bacon, <laughs> here's what I would say: Remain calm. All is well. All is well. <laughs> All right. That's funny, but. It was also it's also ironic because in that scene all was not well with I, Kevin Bacon. He's about to get run over. I yeah. understand, but nonetheless, that's where I'm going. I, right. I understand. Let me just make one final point, Glenn, yeah. which is He's digging this hole deeper. Huh? My colleague Jeff McLean, in a story he wrote and reported last year, the year before, had a great tidbit. Remember the playoff game the Eagles won against the Bears yes. in, at Soldier Field, yes, the I double doink game, sixteen yes, fifteen controversy. Yes. yes, and Jeffrey Lurie was not happy after that game. Even though his team had won a road playoff game with its backup quarterback, because the Eagles had only scored sixteen. I'm points. not going to argue with and, and with Jeff McClain's reporting because I think Jeff's excellent. Uh, Jeff Lurie denied all that, but yeah. whatever. All right, let's go to Mike in Yardley. Mike, how do you feel about this? Uh, well, Glenn, I agree with you. I often agree with you, not all the time, but I absolutely agree with you here, Mike. Yes. Do you remember last year there was a poll that came out that didn't even list Jalen Hurts as one of the top 32 quarterbacks in the league. Yes. It was, so, uh, it was uh, Baby Sims, right? Yeah, it was Chris Sims. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that reflected a, a, 
a disrespect for his abilities and the the Eagles to put together a really good offense at the beginning of that year and basically last year was catching people by surprise. We're not catching anybody by surprise this mm-hmm. year. It's not going to happen. And you have to expect that good defensive coordinators are going to come up with ways to try to take Jalen out of his game. And give him credit. Boy, you're going to try to take Jalen out of his game and make him be a pocket quarterback, but you're not going to put you know, seven guys in the box to stop mm-hmm. the run? You're going to get killed. So... Until a defense shows that they're willing to stop the run, just be calm. Okay. Look, be calm. Mike, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I Honestly, I do. And, I'm again, I'm not suggesting that it's a bad thing that the Eagles can win games by running the football. I mean, bear in mind, two years ago when Hertz was in his first full year as a starter, that's how they turned their season around. They basically were leaning on Hertz throughout the entire first half of the season, throwing, throwing, throwing. And they were 2-5. and five. And then Sirianni and Shane Steichen wised up and said, hey, we can beat teams running the ball, and they did. You know what the Eagles did that following offseason, Glenn? They tried to trade for Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson because they value the passing game that yeah, much. I know. They also have a guy, a young guy, who was almost MVP last year. It's a long season. It's going to be good. It's going to be fine. All right, let, listen, we've got to take a break. We're going to, coming up, we're going to talk to Gary Myers, longtime columnist, football writer for the New York Daily News. He's got a terrific book out, Once a Giant. We're going to talk to him about the book and the state of the NFCs. We'll see how he feels about this. Well, he's covered the Giants for a long time. He can't feel good about them. No, that's a disaster. We'll get to his opinion on all the teams in the NFC East. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hey, I had a chance recently to catch up with my friends from Meridian Bank, along with uh, some of their business banking customers. Now, over the years, I've met several business owners they work with. Every time, I am blown away at how highly they speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. Now, knowing the team at Meridian, it's no surprise. They're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself is entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. That was uh, yeah. a fun well, we, memory of Reggie White right there. <laughs> we wanted to play that for uh, Gary Myers. We're having a tough time reaching Gary. Uh, we'll get him on. and Maybe we'll even play it again for him when we get him. But anyway, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. Uh, as we endeavor to get Gary Myers on the show, let's Carl in Williamsburg has been hanging in. Carl, what's on your mind? Hey, guys. How's it going? Great right. show. We're good, Carl. Thanks. Um, I am not worried about the, the Eagles offense. They, they play two games in four days. They're not going to be able to make a whole lot of adjustments um, within that four days because they were doing all walkthroughs. But now they've had 11 days and they've seen two games where the defenses were doing the same thing with more DBs, Three up, uh, three on the line, eight ba- eight ba- uh, in the back, and mm-hmm. now they have time to make the adjustments. So I think the offense is going to be fine, but I do love the, what Swift is doing. Yeah, so. I, look, De- DeAndre Swift, I-, I don't know how many people appreciated this heading into the season, Carl, but I'm sure they have an understanding of it now. He's an upgrade from Miles Sanders. He, he just is. He runs inside the tackles more frequently uh, and more eagerly, I guess you'd say, than Sanders did. Sanders had kind of this has kind of this maddening uh, habit of bouncing the ball outside. Swift doesn't do that. Now, I don't think he's going to get twenty five to thirty carries every single week, 
but he's better than Miles Sanders, and, and that was a smart I, I move agree. by Howie Roseman to bring him in. I agree. He, he waits for his blocks, and then, then he makes up his mind, and he goes. But I do also, Glenn, got a recommendation for what we're watching. What do you got? That we found on Amazon, and that's uh, Lioness Special Ops on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, so tell me about it, because it, 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 it has crossed my uh, attention. It is phenomenal. Zoe Saldana, uh, and I'm, no, I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, is just phenomenal. But it's a whole ensemble. You've got a great mix of both very assertive characters and some that stay in the back but come in when they need to. It's just a great mix. And, and the theme of it is it. what? It, they're special ops. They're yeah, doing okay. CIA, yeah, I'm uh, in. black ops. I'm in. I, I love all those shows. And Zoe Saldana, I'm in with her. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's she's. Tremendous. Uh, I told you last week I'm watching uh, Professor T, which is a British cop show yes. now and Unforgotten, and it's like I can watch British cop shows 24 hours a day. So my, that's my thing. Yeah, my uh, uh, family and I just finished the first season of a show that's been out for a long, long time called Alone. It's this reality TV show where they drop 10 outdoors people, outdoorsmen, survivalists into the wilderness and. Each one is completely alone. We've talked about it on the show before. Uh, they've got nine or ten seasons of it, and we went back and watched the first season where the conditions were probably the roughest they've ever been. They dropped them in on western Canada, northwestern Canada and Vancouver Island, and you could tell that the producers of the show had not gotten to the point yet where they understood what it would take for these people to actually survive beyond a week <laughs> out there. It is, you know, 10 people go into the wilderness and five of them are dropping out within the first couple of days. And uh, it's, it, you see that and then you see subsequent years of the show and seasons of the show and you say to yourself, oh, okay, they refined it, they got it to the point where it's more interesting and yeah. all that. So, but we're we're getting ahead of ourselves with respect to, what we're watching. Yes, we'll be getting to that soon. We're we're kind of vamping here because uh, we're aiming to get Gary Myers on, and we think we got him. You know what? Do me a favor. Play that little sounder one more time. Let's do this as we planned to when we brought on Gary Myers. Here we go. Well, that's one of my favorite uh, memories from the era of Eagles-Giants back in the day. Gary Myers was, uh, has been a fine columnist for the New York Daily News, football writer for so long. He is now the author of a new book, which will be another bestseller uh, in his line of bestsellers, Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football that really brings together the life experiences of those great Giants teams that were the Eagles rivals back in the 80s. Gary, I apologize for the confusion. I think I gave our producer your phone number with a digit off. So it's thanks for, for getting back to us. Well, you know, Glenn, as an old newspaper reporter, you yeah. know, we rely on accuracy. I know. you got to get Give it, it to him, Gary. Give it to him. I screwed up. Mike, I mean, he survived in, in, our, in that biz, our business yep. such a long time, yeah. and he can't get a phone number right? I know. Uh, Gary, ever since I became his radio partner a year ago, I've been carrying him. It's it, My back is so sore. All right, fellas, let me praise the book, because <laughs> I'm, I'm about now about two-thirds of the way through it, and it's, it's sad, and it's heartwarming, and it's a story about the guys who played together and some of the hijinks they did, and more than anything though their life after football and there's so much we want to ask you about in this good book more than anything gary 
I think it's changed my feeling about Bill Parcells, who I always saw as a real curmudgeon. But one particular thing that he has done afterward with some of these players is is so amazing and impressive. Rather than me spoil it, I'd like you to kind of say what it is. Yeah, Glenn. When I was down in uh, Florida a year ago, March, when I met with Bill at his house, um, he lives in Tequesta, which is not far from West Palm, so that part of Florida. And it came up in the conversation. You know, the, the, the motivation for writing this book for me was I wanted to write about life after football because I think that's the most important and crucial issue for all these players today, and it's something they don't think about and the impact that the game will have on their lives, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, and, you know, in the case that Parcells was talking to me about, you know, the financial uh, problems that some of these guys incur. I think a lot of it because the health insurance is just totally inadequate. Mm -hmm. You know, back in those days, those guys got, I think, either 12 or 18 months of health insurance, and then they were on their own. It's increased to five years now. But, you know, most of these guys' problems come up in their 50s and 60s. But anyhow, I was actually just in the course of the conversation that Bill kind of dropped that on me, and I go, wait, what? You've loaned about $4 million, and that's a total figure, to about 20 different players over the years. And, you know, he says that he just feels these players sacrifice so much for him that the fact that now he's in a really strong financial position, putting money away for his kids and and himself for, you know, what he considers, you know, the, whatever he needs the rest of his life. And he has this total, you know, on the side um, that he's designated to help his players. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that, I mean, I, I've known Bill differently than, than most over the years because I've just known him forever and I've, been relatively close to him over the years since he's out of football. But I think this whole thing was a sort of real eye-opener for people who saw him from the same perspective as, as you did. And by the way, without expectation of getting that money back is what I read. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's not sending – let's just put it this way. He's not sending any collection agencies after any of his former players if they're unable to pay him back. If they do, fine. If they don't – that's fine, too. Gary, I was, uh, and Glenn and I were talking about this during the break, I was a teenager or in my adolescence at the time that those teams uh, were battling at the top of the NFC back when that division was great, when mm-hmm. you know the Giants were competing for Super Bowls and winning them, and Washington was terrific under Joe Gibbs. And so people of my generation are going to think of certain players from that time. They're going to think of Phil Simms and Lawrence Taylor and Leonard Marshall and guys like that. To me, the most affecting passages in the book were about a player who went on to join the Eagles and play for the Eagles, and that's Mark Bavaro. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Bavaro, his struggles while he was playing, and then what he has undergone since retirement. Yeah, Mike. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that if Mark hadn't had the injuries, he would have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. He was Gronk before Gronk, mm-hmm. except without the sideshows. You know, an excellent blocker, great receiver, had really bad knee injuries towards the end of his time with the Giants, and then he hung on by playing a year in uh, Cleveland, and I think it was two with the Eagles. Um, But, you know, in his life after football, 
he, he told me he's just never really found anything that he's good at or it really could hold his interest. I mean, he doesn't have financial problems because, you know, he does a lot of speaking stuff, and which people will be surprised about because, you know, Mark didn't say all that much when, when he played. He does memorabilia things. He's in a, a business with uh, Otis Anderson and Lawrence Taylor. But the, the most compelling thing that's happened to him is he got long COVID and it just nearly destroyed him. He went through a, a six or seven month period in 2021 where he was depressed, anxious, paranoid. You know, he felt like there was a, a war raging in his brain because, you know, his wife, who is uh, got her law degree, finished up at Harvard, so she's obviously a fairly bright woman. She she feels that uh, the virus attacked his brain because it was most vulnerable from the concussions that he suffered during his playing career. And I, I sat with Mark for, <clears throat> for two, two and a half hours in his living room, and to hear <clears throat> how forthcoming he was about the most personal and sensitive time in his life that he would sit in his living room and he thought about Andre Waters, who he played with, with the Eagles and Dave Dewerson, who he played with in Notre Dame. And then a year with the giants and he got to know junior Seau and he could never understand how those three men had reached that level of despair where they would take their own lives. And during the worst period of the COVID um, and during that time he had fallen on his floor, fainted on his floor twice and there's an amazing picture in the book that he gave me. The second time he fell face first on his bathroom floor um, after he fainted, and he was just like in a pool of blood, and his face is all black and blue. And he sent me the wow. picture of uh, what his face looked like. But anyhow, so he's sitting in his living room, and th this was not like a one-night thought that he finally understood how those guys took their own lives that how it could get, could get so bad. So the way he described it was like his intellectual side was telling him, I can get through this. You have a great family. Don't do anything like this. And his emotional side was saying, <clears throat> how long can you stand on the edge of a cliff before you actually jump? Mm. And um, cow. he's doing really well today. You know, fortunately the intellectual side won out. <clears throat> he finally found a doctor that, um, was able to prescribe the right medication and um he's back to playing golf a lot and he sounds pretty happy every time i talk to him so it, it really is a heartbreaking story um this was the toughest this is probably the toughest guy in the league when he was playing i mean he broke his jaw in the first quarter of a game in 86 against the saints and he caught a touchdown pass in the second quarter yeah. of that game yeah we listen he played two years here we remember he wasn't a player here that he was in new york but he's still he still was Mark Bavaro. Uh, Gary Myers is our guest. The book is called Once a Giant. It's really a look at the 1986 Giants then and since then. And, yeah, there are, there are a lot of sad stories, but there are certainly a lot of uplifting stories as well. I want to just go back to one thing that stopped me as I was reading it that occurred back then, and we came into this segment with a Reggie White highlight. And what I didn't know uh, mm -hmm. is that Reggie White could have just as easily been a Giant if they had listened to Bill Parcells. Glenn, I was hoping you were going to ask me about oh, that. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing I want to say just to Eagles fans who are listening is, yeah, this book is about the 86 Giants, and you probably hated that team. But it really could be about the 86 Eagles, the 86 Seahawks, the 86 Bills, 
because it's about players from that generation who were not protected like they are with the concussion protocol now and um, and the game was played much differently. So it's really about players from that generation. I just happened to write about the 86 Giants. But the story you're referring to was um, in the um, 1984 supplemental draft. Um, Houston had the first pick, and they – now, I, I want to make sure I had this right. No. Um, Cincinnati, I think, had the first pick. No, let me go back. Tampa had the first pick, pick Steve Young. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got this right now. Mm-hmm. And then Houston had the next pick and took Mike Rozier. Mm-hmm. So the Giants were picking third, and the Eagles were picking fourth. Parcells was pleading with George Young to take Reggie White. Mm-hmm. George wanted – Oh, geez, we lost you for a second. Are you still there, Gavin? There, no. Gavin? Oh, we lost you. Yeah, You're back? You... Okay, so we lost you for a second. He's pleading with George Young to take Reggie White, and George says? No, I, I'm an offensive line guy. I need Gary Zimmerman. And so George had final say in all personnel. And so they took Gary Zimmerman, who then announced that he refused to play for the Giants. He didn't want to play in New York. <laughs> wow. So they traded him to Minnesota for two second-round picks. And I can hear still to this day the disappointment in Parcells' voice when he's thinking about not on the right side and Reggie White on the left side, and our defense would have been a little. I mean, can you imagine those two guys playing? The idea of Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White on the same defense. Yes. Yes. It would have been unbelievable. And. And that's to other great players. Ga- Gary, you're you're cut, you're cutting in and out on us a little bit. If you can get to a place, I, I'm going to move better. to it. Okay. All right, let's move it uh, and and talk yeah. a little bit about uh, what we see in the league this year. Yeah. So the Giants came in with a little bit higher expectations this season than they did last year, and they've lost two of their first three games, and they got their doors blown off by the Cowboys in Week One. Uh, meanwhile, here in Philadelphia. <laughs> We are lamenting to one degree or another the fact that while the Eagles are 2-0, and they haven't looked particularly sharp. How do you see the NFC East in particular? How great a threat, if any, do you think the Giants pose to the Eagles and the Cowboys this season? Well, you know, Mike, based on what we've seen so far, um, the, the Giants are a huge step behind Dallas. We know that based on 40 to nothing. And, um, I mean, I thought going into the year that, they were already a, a really big step behind the Eagles. So that opinion hasn't changed. And I will say this about <clears throat> drawing quick conclusions based on, you know, you have to remember with the change in the rules and teams rarely even getting into pads and in training camp, and then nobody plays in the preseason. That it take, you know, the, September is really almost like an extended preseason, but you're playing your regulars and, it's after about the first month that you can really figure out what your team is. And so the Giants had a, have a really tough opening group of games. And if you go into it, you look at the first three games, you figure maybe they had a shot to beat Dallas. You figured they beat Arizona, but not having to come back from 20 to nothing at the half. And that they really wouldn't have a chance to beat San Francisco. And then they had to play them without their best offensive lineman and Andrew Thomas and without Saquon Barkley. So they're, they're at one and two, which is not a surprise. But then they have Seattle coming up a week from Monday, which 
somewhat of a must game in that if you're not, and I don't think Seattle's all that good. Um, if you're not going to beat Seattle at home, you know, how many of these ga- those type games are you going to win? So uh, I know Giant fans just listening to talk radio here are just kind of apoplectic about the way the defense has been playing, that the offensive line isn't giving Daniel Jones any time. They all think the team has taken a step backwards, which based on what we've seen, they are they have taken a step backwards from last year, but it's just so early that uh, I don't really draw any long all right, so so, so similarly, and we, we kind of have a bad mm-hmm. connection, so let's wrap on this. Do you have – what are your opinions of the Eagles after the first two games, which they have won, the 2-0, and beat uh, New England on the road, beat Minnesota here, didn't look all that impressive doing it. What would be your message to Eagle fans? That they're the defending NFC two Cowboys against the Cowboys will likely determine the division, and that um, – to this point, I think it's the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Cowboys in the NFC. And, you know, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen in January. But anybody who is, um, you know, concerned about the Eagles after two games and you win both of them just shows really how far this team has come that you can be upset at being 2-0. and The whole idea is just survive and move on. Win each week, and if you win – you try to get better the next week, but you don't. As fans, they shouldn't lament how they've looked so far, because, like I said a couple of minutes ago, um, teams are just kind of figuring out who they are and what they do best. Amen. Amen. Nicely said. I concur with you. You've added wisdom. Uh, Gary Myers is the <laughs> author. Well, how about that? Once a giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. It's a terrific read. Mike and I really both both Ver- enjoying it. Very much, Gary. Yeah. Congratulations. Great stuff. Do well, well with it, and we hope we sold you a couple books. We'll talk to you again down the road. Yeah, if I can just say, guys, thank you so much for having me on. Sorry about the connection. And anybody who's interested, bookstores everywhere, and Amazon online, Barnes & Noble online, and um and I think everybody, you know, like I said before, regardless of whether you're a Giant fan or not, and I know I'm not talking to Giant fans now, but um, I think you'll enjoy this book. Hey, that Reggie White story, man. I think we sold you 20000 right there. Exactly. Maybe 92000 <laughs> That would be appropriate. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Gary, excuse me. Thank you, too, Mike. Thanks, thanks Gary. See you later. There you go. Gary Myers. Gary Myers. Mm-hmm. Mike Myers, Mike Gary Sielski, Myers, Gary no, Myers, there Gary Sielski. Right. I don't know. Anyway, it is. It's a very good book. It was a bad connection, which kind of hurt the interview a little bit. But it's a it's a very good and entertaining book. Book and listen, the Giants played the Eagles twice a year back then, as they do now. So there are good. If you're an Eagles fan, you followed that team. There are good stories throughout that you're going to find interesting. If you were an Eagles fan back then, you will buy this book and read this book, and you will feel. You'll hear Pat Summerall and John Madden in your ears as you're reading it, and you will feel a windy, cold, late afternoon at the Meadowlands or Veterans Stadium. It takes you back there. Uh, those Giants, some of those Giants teams were great. That '86 team was really, really All terrific. Yeah. Uh, you forget how great those teams were, and it's it's uh, a compliment to Gary about how well he covered those teams and how much those guys trust him. That they would tell him some of the stories oh, that yeah. they did. I mean, they're they're you know we we talked about Bavaro, but there are a lot of players on that team that really opened up, and we made it sound like they all have these tragic lives. They don't all there nope. there is that, but you know, like Phil Sims comes off as just a great guy who mm-hmm. has led a fine life. Yeah, absolutely, and plus you get all the Lawrence Taylor stories, which a lot of them we've heard before, but it's always yeah. interesting and in a perverse way kind of fun 
to understand the life that LT was living oh. at the same time that oh. he was dominating people on the field. Yeah. 215-592-9494. Yeah, we'll come back. We'll tell you what Mike is watching this week. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, uh, 94 WIP. Um, it's that time of year again. Consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another cold winter season rolls in. Felt like that this morning. The great people at Guided Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. Now, for every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. You need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you'll save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right. Well, we're watching. Sponsored by Guida Door and Window. Buy a window or door. Get the second and a half off. With 18 months interest-free financing, call Guida Door and Window at one eight seven seven go guida or visit goguida.com. A little bit of a different spin today. We do movies and TV, and this will relate to it, but you were out last night. I was. I went with my wife and another couple, dear friends of ours. We drove down to Atlantic City, had a lovely, delicious Meal, dinner at the Palm in oh. Atlantic City, courtesy of your friend Jim Haney, the yeah. restaurant's general manager. Just first-class treatment. Great guy, and love the Palm. Yep. Yeah, uh, Philly native, uh, and the the meal was terrific. And we went from there to Ocean Casino and saw a stand-up comedy show. We saw a guy who some of our listeners may have heard of, named Nate Bergazzi, who has become a fairly popular comedian, and you've probably seen him on the late-night shows if you're still watching them, Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon and places like that. He's a guy in his mid-40s, very observational kind of humor, doesn't even tell jokes so much as he's kind of talking about his life and making observations about being a husband and a father and part of Generation X, and that's kind of one of the most— He's talking to you, man. He is. He is right in my wheelhouse here in talking about us as people who knew the world before the Internet came along and trying to adjust to reality and modern life now. And he's he's very funny, uh, very dry. It was an hour-long show, and it was absolutely terrific. And that leads me to the What We're Watching recommendation, which is Nate Bergazzi has two stand-up specials out now on Netflix. One of them is called The Tennessee Kid. He is from Tennessee originally. The other is called The Greatest Average American. If you like Jerry Seinfeld, if you like Jim Gaffigan, if you like Tom Papa and comedians like that, you're going to love Nate Bergazzi if you haven't already seen him. I would recommend both of those specials. Uh, he's now going on to Radio City Music Hall. I mean, the the theater mm-hmm. last night at Ocean was packed several hundred so people. So funny because I've never heard of this guy, but obviously Generation X has. Yeah, and yeah. and it's terrific. You would really like him because you're a Seinfeld guy. I am. And you're a, you know, Jim you Gaffigan. You mentioned Jim Gaffigan. I think Jim Gaffigan is, is great. Yeah. Nate Bargatze. Yes, B-A-R-G-A-T-Z-E. And his TV specials are, where will I find those? Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Okay, go so, to Netflix, find him. 
So this led us to kind of a, opening it up to a broader discussion about stand-up comedy. And I think you wanted to throw out there your top three yeah. stand-up specials yeah. of all time. Yes. Um, boy, I got a lot more than three. So okay. do I. So, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> okay. I, I, I love still, and I haven't seen most of these in years and years and years, but some of the old school one, the Richard Pryor one, the Steve Martin one, Robin Williams did one. Uh, George Carlin did one, I think, in 1999 um, called You Are All Diseased, which was great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm, I'm going to go more recent than, well, I don't know I'm going to go more recent than that. Those are all in the running, okay? Mm-hmm. Love them, I'll love them, love them. Here's my three. Eddie Murphy Raw is, to me, the greatest stand-up oh. comedy special that ever existed. Uh, I just looked it up. It's from 1987. Um, it's... I mean, I I think it's aged really well. You just see Eddie Murphy at in his youth with all of the energy and all of the outrage and all of the obscenities and mm-hmm. and, so, and it was and it's great. It's just it, to me, it was game changing. Mm-hmm. I loved a guy who flashed through really quickly. He died. He died quickly. His name was Mitch Hedberg. You oh my Hedberg? gosh! Oh, you know yes. him? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I- if you, if you, I get serious radio in the car. If you ever turn on the comedy channel, mm-hmm. they'll do some of his stand-up stuff. He's he's like a Stephen Wright non sequitur. Just will throw out silly things. He's number three on my list. Is that right? Yep. Oh, okay. We did not talk about this. No, we did the show not at all. No, his his one-liners are just so imaginative and clever. And where is he going from? And it's a tragic thing that he just like he was there. He was great, and then he he died. Oh, so many great one-liners. And you know what's funny, Glenn? My kids, who are 12 and 9, watched the Comedy Central version of one of his stand-ups, which, of course, doesn't have any of the language or anything like that. Yeah. They loved it. They yeah. love the observational nature. I think it. Mitch Hedberg is terrific if you get a chance to watch him. And the third one I'll put in, I'm going to go local with this one. I'll go with Kevin Hart. Okay. Uh, I think it was called Seriously Funny. That I mean, you know, Kevin Hart can sell 50,000 seats at Lincoln Financial oh, yeah. Field. Kevin Hart is huge. This was kind of to me him at in his in his prime. Mm-hmm. Okay, when Kevin Hart was at his absolute best, um, and a lot of these bits now you will see like on the internet is like memes and stuff. A lot of the stuff he did there, but I thought this was great. Seriously funny, Kevin Hart. So I'll go Eddie Murphy, Mitch Hedberg, Kevin Hart, with a nod to all of the old greats. So I got to meet Kevin Hart before yeah, the recently. Eagles before yeah. the Eagles Vikings game last Thursday night. He was at Lincoln Financial Field. I gave him a copy of my book, The Rise, about Kobe Bryant, because Kevin Hart is in the book. Movie rights. Yeah, well, already sold. Oh, well, uh, movie, uh, <laughs> cameo, cameo. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Kevin Hart and Kobe room together at Speedy Morris's basketball camp at LaSalle <laughs> University. And there's this uh, great- Jeff. Yeah, exactly. There's this great scene uh, that Kevin has talked about publicly where- He's playing as hard as he can in this camp, and he's going to go become the point guard at North Carolina. And he asks Kobe at one point, Kobe, where do you think I should play? Should I go to Duke? Should I go to North Carolina? And Kobe just laughs at him and walks away. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I gave him a copy of the book, and who knows what's going to come of it. There you but go. He, was, he was very gracious. Nice. So my top three, you've mentioned one, which was the Mitch Hedberg comedy special from January of 99. How, how about that? That's amazing. And... There are so many great lines in that one. His bit about pants and the belt, that pants have loops to hold the belt up, but the belt is holding the pants up. 
So what's really going on yeah. down there? Yeah, just, like, who is the real hero is just so funny. Right, oh how God. his mind works was just very, very funny. Very, just incredibly great. Number two for me was one you mentioned in passing that I found years after it had come out and loved it. Steve Martin uh, doing A Wild and Crazy wild Guy, crazy guy. And, wow. and Let's Get Small. The yes. two albums that he released in the late Early 70s. Early stuff. Early stuff, but so funny. With the arrow through the head. I mean, it's so goofy and so great. And I, he, listen, he's still great. He's still great. I have both of those albums on vinyl. I'm seeing them next month. Are you really? I got tickets to see Steve Martin. Um, for my wife's birthday, I got their tickets to see. I hope uh, it wasn't Steve, a surprise. Steve, no, no, I gave them to her last December. Okay. Steve Martin, Martin Short here. Ah, oh, that's yeah. great. I'm yeah. jealous. Yeah. And then my number one, and this is a little fraught because of everything that has come out about this person after the special I'm about to mention. And I understand if people don't want to take in this guy's content anymore, I totally get it. But when Bill Cosby himself dropped in the mid-1980s, it was the funniest thing I had ever seen. It, the bits, to me, still hold up if you can hold your nose about who Bill Cosby apparently is yeah. as a human being. I know. Uh, but it was 30 years ago. Nobody knew then what we know now. Yeah, it was brilliant. And it was so brilliant. The mm-hmm. dentist, the stuff about being a parent, the stuff about childbirth, yeah, all make, of Making it. his kids chocolate. Chocolate cake for breakfast. Yeah, that was All of it. Bit. Oh, my gosh. I it know. was so good. And, and, and it, you do see it now in a different light, but it, it was great stuff. Yeah. It was. So. Ben Kenny, you got anything to add here? Sure. Uh, I don't watch nearly as much comedy as you guys, I see, but I would throw Bill Burr out there. He's I think terrific. he's hysterical, yes. and I love the the. He's from Boston, but I love the East Coast, that type of city. How he talks about sports and yeah. how crazy we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love him, and this is not a comedy special guy, but whenever Frank Caliendo would go on College Game Day or on NFL Sunday and do all of his impressions, I I still find him hysterical. See, I always thought Frank Caliendo had great, great voices. But not. He, I thought he his needed material, better writing. Exactly. His I, material was not good. Yeah, it his, got old. I, I just think he needed to hire a writer to make his stuff funny because the voices were great. Imitations, right? You don't see enough uh, guys doing that anymore. No, no. Impressions are really Richard different. Little was the guy back yeah, in the Rich day. Yeah, Rich Little, right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know where you see it? You see a lot on Instagram where people who are kind of amateurs or not yeah, yeah, well-known. Yeah. Yeah. Will get I do a, Trump really well. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's tiresome now. Everybody does it. Well, there's yeah. there's one guy on Twitter now. He's in the college football circle. He does the best Nick Saban I've ever seen. I've seen that. So that he'll, is, he'll do really a phone good. call. He yes. did one yesterday between Dion and Nick Saban oh, where he's great. acting out both. It was incredible. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um uh, yeah, okay. So I, I like yours. I like mine. I uh, Bill yeah, Burr whatever. is good. I No, I give Bill Burr. I, I think Bill mm-hmm. Burr is pretty good. So. Listen, if you want to call in and give us your favorite comedy uh, special over the years, we will take that. But Mike's recommendation is find Nate Bargatze, B-A-R-G-A-T-Z-E. Yep, correct. On Netflix and watch those specials because Mike enjoyed them last night between 18 cocktails in Atlantic City. <laughs> I was driving. I had one Tangeray and tonic, and that was it. I was a good boy. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, coming up new, we'll talk to Ben Davis about those fighting fills. We're here on 94WIP. Hey, I had a chance to catch up recently with great people at Meridian Bank. Actually, this week, and I met with one of their business banking customers. And you know what? 
over the years, I've met several business owners they work with. Every time, I am just blown away with how highly these people speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. I get it. I have a relationship with Meridian Bank. I know the people at Meridian, and so it's no surprise they're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself, well, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. Well, it might have been a cheap shot to play that uh, low light from uh, last year after the guy gets injured. Uh, but nonetheless, that's... We're uh, not above such things. Now, Trayvon Diggs, earlier this week, tears his ACL at practice in Dallas uh, and uh, well, apparently will be out for the season. That's why we're going to check with our doctor for Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. David Gelt is with us. Hello, Doc. How you guys doing today? We're doing great. Doing great, uh, doctor. You know, dodging these raindrops, but doing okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we normally talk about injuries here. Uh, We don't want to talk about those. We want to talk about Trayvon Diggs. Again, tore his ACL at practice. I guess the first question is, automatically done for the season? No no shot he comes back by January? Yeah, I mean, uh, ACLs, uh, as we talked about before, it was good seven to nine months. Um, That can be conservative. Um, So you're expecting that to be, if they even go far into the playoffs, I think that's... Pretty much not, not, not doable, so it looks like he's going to be coming back for next year instead. So, Doctor, the style of play that was Diggs' trademark was that he's a big play cornerback. He's not conservative. He takes a lot of chances. He gets a lot of interceptions, makes a lot of big plays. Assuming he comes back from this injury, is he going to have to change the way he plays at all because, you know, his knee – will not be as structurally sound as it once was. Can he be the same guy? Yeah, I mean, uh, with the surgeries nowadays uh, and with a good rehab, uh, people can come back and they can do really well. You know, again, it's different for each person. It's really in their mindset, too, and how comfortable they feel and if there's any changes. And once you go into doing surgery, the knee's never the same, obviously. But uh, with technology and with the surgery we've been doing, people do really well, and they, they can get back to their full potential. It just really depends on how he's doing after his rehab um, and his mindset, really. And no loss of speed. Uh, that's another good question. You know, you don't know that until after the surgery and after his rehab. There could be complications. It could be you know, uh, setbacks here and there. But um, you know, hopefully for the Dallas Cowboys, for their standpoint, that he get back to what it was and his potential is still there. But you don't know until after the surgery is done and how he recovers. Yeah, we hate him, but we don't root for injuries. We're, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not, we're, we're, we are not those that. people. No, I, no. I, I, I want to be no. the Cowboys fair and square. And, you know, if a guy's got a migraine and he's out for a day, I'm not going to lose sleep. But I, I don't want those guys getting hurt. Anyway. Right. All right, what else are you thinking about today, Doc? You always have good insight. So I was uh, just listening, you know, about the comedians, and I agree with uh, with Mike. You know, um, he does have negative connotation right now, you know, obviously with what happened. But his uh, – that is great. Give us chocolate cake. Uh, stand up for, with Bill Cosby. It was just hilarious. It was pretty good. It, it was. I just, in fact, uh, I just texted that to someone who had uh, pointed out the very same thing you did. How problematic Bill Cosby has become. But um, when that special came out, man, it was it was very, very, very funny. Yeah. Anyway, Doc, have a great week. Enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you soon. All right, good, and happy New Year, Glenn. Thank you. I appreciate that. You too, Doc. Have, have an Thanks. easy fast. Right. Thank you, sir. Um, so Trayvon Diggs is down. They bring in, they had brought in, excuse me, Stephon Gilmore. So they're yeah. good on the other side. Um, 
significant enough to change the division? Could be. If he gets replaced by just a guy? Uh, look, it weakens their defense, mm-hmm. and their defense has looked great through these first two weeks. Now, in in the interest of balance and context, they've played the Giants and the Jets. The Jets don't have an NFL quarterback on their roster right now, so <laughs> you're going to look good against the Jets' offense because Zach Wilson doesn't belong in the NFL, uh, and the Giants are not a great offensive team. So we'll see. Yeah. But, yeah, it hurts them. Uh, is it enough to tear their defense apart? No. They've still got Micah Parsons, and he's probably the best defensive player in the league. But it doesn't help at all. Agreed. Alan in Villanova is with us. Hello, Alan. Alan, you got to come to the phone. Stop. Oh, yeah. There Hi. you go. How are How you, are you? We're good. We're good, Alan. Yeah, so I'm going to make two quick points because I know you got a lot of people to get to. On, on the Phillies, I mean, what can we say? Last night's game was fun, exciting, walk-off win, but if the bullpen keeps this crap up, we're not going to go far in the postseason. I just, that's just driving me insane. A little concerned. I, I, you may be a notch or two above us, but, yeah, have some concern. Okay, and the other point I wanted to make was, since I'm really old school and you're talking about comedians and impressionists, I wanted to give you the name, and I, I, Glenn, you might remember the guy. I doubt Mike does. Other than Joe Conklin, the greatest impressionist I ever uh, saw, or not live, but on TV or whatever, was a guy named David Fry. You ever hear of him? No, I have not. I, I should. I don't. I, it doesn't ring a bell. Rich Little, I remember. David Fry, huh? He was well. He was really famous in '68 when he did all three uh, presidential candidates: uh, Nixon, Humphrey, and and well, Nixon and Humphrey and George Wallace. But he did Johnson. He did everybody. But he was a political did, guy. Yeah, not just political. He did. Actors. Yeah, I, I I don't remember. I appreciate the call. I'm looking here. He's American Canadian, specializing in comic imitations of famous political figures. Don't remember him. Oh, by the way, Joe Conklin is the best. Hey, Joe, Joe Conklin, Conklin is, is, is amazing. Is amazing. He is. Amazing. I, I, I could listen to Joe 24 hours a day. John uh, in uh, Hammertown. Weird feedback. Hello, yeah. John. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? This Hi, John. Uh, Glenn, I hope you had a nice holiday last week. I'm, I'm not a tribesman myself, but I... Um, appreciate it. I <laughs> hope you had a good holiday. Um, so on the, the Eagles point that I had, I think... I think they have a bounce-back game on Monday night. And, gosh, I wish it was on Sunday because I'm so tired of them having all these national games. Um, but I think they have a bounce-back weekend. And I think Jalen, you know, it's apropos that Mike is on uh, as the writer of The Rise of Kobe Bryant. I think there's a lot of the same mentality in Jalen Hurts as there is in Kobe and guys like Michael Jordan that, you know, they keep a chip on their shoulder. I mean, I know there was comments after his the playoff loss to the Tampa Bay in the mm-hmm. playoffs a few years ago that, you know, he can't read defenses. He can't read defenses. And I think he will carry that with him. He's smart. He's very, very talented. So I have no doubt that he's going to have a bounce-back game this coming Monday. Yeah, Kobe is one of his greatest influences, John. You're you're on the money with that comparison. And Mike, by the way, I have your book sitting on my shelf. My father gave it to me and, you know, said it was highly recommended by him. He absolutely loved the books. So I can't wait to crack open. I appreciate that, John. Thanks. And thanks, Thank you, Dad, for me. Appreciate it. By the way, yeah, enjoy Haver. Havertown's the greatest place in the world, so you're lucky to live there. <laughs> I am. I'm very lucky. We just moved back, actually, after being away for about uh, 10 years. Sweet. So I'm happy to be back. There you go. Um, awesome. uh, two quick things I want to mention, too. We uh, Speaking of local writers, we got to see Tommy and me, the Ray Didinger piece in Westchester last week. 
Uh, it was fantastic. I hope they get to put it up again somewhere. Oh, Anybody they... who lives locally gets an opportunity to see it. It's an unbelievably great play. Oh, yeah. They will. It's terrific. Um, and then on the comedy front, I want to give a shout-out to one of my very good buddies. His name is Blake Wexler. Blake Wexler. He's a local comedian. Um, we worked together at the Upper Main Line YMCA for many years, and he, he's one of my col- uh, high school rivals. He went to Conestoga. I went to Great Valley. Um, but he's an incredibly talented comedian, uh, and he's been doing it since he was about 15, 16 years old. All right. We so will look him up. we got to run. we got to hit the hour, but we will look him up. Appreciate the call. I, I've got his website right in front of me. Blake. Wexler. Blake Wexler. He looks funny. Well, there you go. And his photographs. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we'll check in with Ben Davis, find out uh, his thoughts on what's going on with the Phillies. With Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. It's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors. Before another long, cold winter season rolls in, the great people who got a door and window, well, they're going to make it much easier for you, more affordable, because they got the buy one, get one half off sale. For every door window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Simple. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you save 50% on half the project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guide is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guide today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. And they went in dramatically last night again. Um, you know, there's there are teams get get momentum. You know what? Let's. I'm before. I'm not even going to talk about. it. I'm just going to get him get him up here. Okay. Uh, which is our guest Ben Davis, who you will hear doing color commentary on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Hey Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Anxious to see what happens with this weather today. <laughs> Agreed. I, I think they're going to try to get one in tonight because they got they got to play two today, tomorrow. They have an off day Monday. I don't think they want to do a Monday doubleheader, but we'll. I, I'm going to bet that they squeeze one in one way or another tonight. But I want to yeah, ask we'll, you this. Go we'll ahead. See. Okay. It's it's the concept of teams finding the confidence to win games that they may not otherwise win. They had the lead yesterday. They give up the lead. They could in the ninth inning, the tenth inning, the Mets are threatening, do not score. Well, they did in the ninth, but you know what I'm saying. And the Phillies come back and win. And you've been on teams where they kind of find this confidence. Is there a way to define it? Is it an infectious thing, or is it just a question of eh, they got lucky tonight? Well, I think it's more of a, a will to win. And I think that's where their professionalism and their preparation comes in. Uh, this is a ball club, and I think that's why they're so relatable to a blue-collar city like Philadelphia. Is. These guys work, and they, they prepare for these situations, uh, and they expect to win. It's not like they hope to win. They expect to win. This team is built to win. Uh, this team is built to produce, and that's what I think you're seeing uh, throughout the course of the season. They, they, they don't like when they lose uh, because they, they put all that work and preparation into a winning product, and when it doesn't come out on the winning side – they get ticked off, and um, you know I think it's it's great to see, and it's great to see the professionalism. It's nice to see them not get complacent. You know they they step on that field every night to win. You saw Sarah Anthony strike the strike out Alonzo with a slider, a two-two slider last night, uh, down and away, and you saw JT pump his fist like they had just won the World Series. You know this is just a game in the end of September, but it meant so much to them as a as a unit. I think it really shows, again, their professionalism and their expectancy to win. 
So, Ben, you just mentioned Sir Anthony Dominguez and the strikeout. And the night before, Jose Alvarado locked down the game by throwing a nasty, nasty cutter to Pete Alonso to strike him out. To me, those two situations bode very well for the Phillies. They have to get Alvarado and Dominguez back close to pitching to the way they did in September and October of last season. How do you see the bullpen now, and how valuable would it be if those two guys got close to regaining the form of a year ago? Well, I think they're such an integral part of this ball club, Uh, especially moving into the playoffs you might have a starter only go five or six innings, you know, and then the bullpen really takes over. This has been really the M.O. in the, in the last so many years in the playoffs of all these teams that are winning World Series, um, you know, with the exception of possibly the, the Astros who just seem to have a, a, a depth of, of starting pitching that's, you know, unprecedented. But it, you're going to need these guys, and you're going to need them possibly to go more than one inning. And to see what Sarah Anthony did last night and see what Alvarado did the night before – they're going to need these guys. These guys are special guys. <clears throat> I think they can uh, really kind of gather themselves and say, you know what, I don't have to be perfect. If I'm throwing 98 to 100, I don't have to be perfect. I wish these guys could step in the batter's box and see what that's like coming mm-hmm. at them mm-hmm. and to realize that, hey, man, I don't have to throw my 99 or 100 on the black. I can kind of let that go down the middle and let my good natural movement take over. Um, and then be more competitive in the strike zone. Because hitting a, a pitch that's moving at 98 to 100 miles an hour, it's not easy. And that's why it literally is the hardest thing to do in sports. So I think if these guys have that in the back of their mind, that I don't have to be so perfect, it's going to only help them out in the long run. But these guys, again, are going to be an integral part of the playoff run and, and moving forward uh, in the late October November because they're, they're going to need these guys. That's the bottom line. All right, so I have – all that said, I have one kind of gripe, and as a guy who played catcher, I'm just curious how you feel about this. Uh, Craig Kimbrell is a tremendous major leaguer and, and has, whatever he has, 427 career saves or something. I mean, he's had a, a terrific career, and he's fun to watch, and he's successful and so on. And he doesn't appear to give a wit about holding a runner on, and it, it has cost him. It has put them in jeopardy and him in jeopardy. You caught. It must have been frustrating for you when you had a pitcher who didn't hold somebody on. Is it at this point in his career, and the guy is 35, so I get it, just like that's not going to happen. There's no way that can, that can be added to the, the, the weapons. Yeah, it's, uh, you're not going to change the spots on a leopard. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it is. It drives me uh, nuts. Uh, and, you know, I, listen, it, it drove me nuts. I had pitchers that were unbelievably slow to home plate, and I wouldn't even risk a throw to second base because I'm like, if I'm going to rush this throw, I'm going to short hop the second baseman or shortstop, whoever's covering second base. I'm going to air mail it, throw it in the center field, and then the next thing you know, the guy's on third base. And I've had pitchers tell me, listen, I'm going to be a little bit more deliberate to a home plate so I deliver the pitch that I want. I'd rather make a, a good quality pitch and have a guy be on second base than throw, you know, go to a slide step and not be as effective with that pitch. I'm like, well, there's got to be a fine line there somewhere yeah. because you're just giving the guy a bag. And then now he's in scoring position. Um, some pitchers are like that. They're very fickle creatures, our pitchers. And, you know, uh, again, I don't think you're going to see Kimbrell change anytime no, soon. No, I, yeah, I doubt it. Probably not. We're talking I just, to Ben. I, I, I wanted to vent. So thank I, you. I totally get it, Glenn. We're talking to Ben Davis from NBC Sports Philadelphia. And, Ben, speaking of fickle pitchers and the relationship between a pitcher and a catcher, 
Aaron Nola had a terrific outing against the Braves a few days ago. Garrett Stubbs was his catcher. Connection there? No, I don't think so. I mean, some, sometimes you just get into a rhythm uh, with somebody, and, you know, very rarely does Garrett Stubbs catch Aaron Nola. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it worked the other night. Um, you know, Aaron's his own guy. He's ultimately the guy that decides on the pitch he's going to throw. You know, he's getting that, that pitch relayed to him, and he's the one that has to deliver the pitch. Um, you know, I just think the other night uh, you watch Aaron Nola pitch, he just had conviction in every pitch that he was throwing. And I think that's, that's huge for him. It's huge for every pitcher. But you've got to have that conviction in each and every pitch. I think sometimes he gets away from that a little bit and, um, you know, tries to miss bats at times. But what I saw out of him the other night, it's, it's very reassuring that, hey, he can be the guy that we've seen to, to know and love over the, the course of his uh, uh, tenure here in Philadelphia. All right, I have another question that kind of relates to you as a catcher and a guy who played in the league and so on. They, an episode happened in the game last night with Mets batter Jeff McNeil swinging at a pitch. I'm going to play you. This is the conversation after the game when they do the Friday night roundtable. Here you go. Oh, okay, the call from the game. Excuse me. Here's the call from the game. Well, indeed. So, so I guess my question is, I don't know if that ever happened to you as a batter but as a no, catcher I've never I've never seen it period okay <laughs> never as a catcher I'm sure there were some foul tips that just kind of went right there because I've seen that happen to catchers frequently I mean we all know what it's like to get hit because we've all gotten hit I haven't gotten hit by somebody deflecting a 95 mile an hour fastball into my crotch but I imagine that it's awful and I imagine it's made more awful because last night Jeff McNeil that happened to him in front of 38,000 people yeah. yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> it's not ideal. Um, it unfortunately, you know, it is part of the game. Uh, being a catcher, I had my fair share of of foul tips and yep. you know balls in the dirt. And uh, there was one incident in Double A where the guy went straight around the bunt. He bunted straight down, hit the back tip of the plate, and came up underneath and got me. Oh. I missed a whole I missed a whole week of playing. Um, I had to go to the hospital that night, and it wasn't pretty. Um, <laughs> So, you know, there was uh, there were some situations. I remember one time in Cincinnati, uh, there was like a high curveball, and a guy fouled it straight down, and it got me. Mm. And I remember I was sitting at the hotel bar that night, and they kept showing it on on <laughs> over and over and over. And my fiance at the time, my, she called me. She goes, "Oh my gosh, are you okay?" <laughs> and I don't know. It was just one of those things that it was just it kept showing. I'm like, "Okay, we can stop showing this." Okay, I, I'm I'm still feeling the effects. Yeah. Uh, I think we're good. <laughs> Another round here, barkeep. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, Ben, my contention for most of the season has been that as great as the Braves are, and they are a great team and a great offensive team that the Phillies are the team in the National League that nobody else wants to face in the postseason because of the nature of their lineup, really, that it only takes two or three guys to get hot at once, and they have so many guys who can get hot at once uh, that they're going to be a tough out. Uh, We saw that last year, and uh, the setup seems to be similar this year. Is there a matchup? that you like. It looks like they're going to get the Diamondbacks. Things can obviously change. But is there a team in the le- in the National League where you say, I don't want to face them? Is there a team in the National League where you say, okay, if the Phillies come across that that opponent in a best of three, best of five, best of seven, uh, you got to feel pretty good? 
Yeah, I think he do have to feel pretty good uh, because this team, you know, they just they believe in themselves. They believe in each other. Uh, this is a, a different ball club. I mean, it, it starts with Rob Thompson. It kind of trickles down. There's, it's never a panic team. Uh, they, they don't put, you know, a whole lot of emphasis on we have to do something. or we Baseball is the last sport you say, I need to do this or I have to do this. The game doesn't work that way. And I think that's what makes the ball club so good. They, again, they believe in themselves. They believe in each other. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of good ball clubs out there. Obviously, the Braves and the Dodgers are probably the first two that, that come to mind. Um, but if you were to go up against, and I was talking to, uh, I went to my alma mater's uh, football game last night, and they were talking about the Phils and different. I said, if you run into the Brewers, I know this sounds silly, but if you run into the Brewers and get Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta in three games, Good luck with that because yeah, that's a three-headed yeah. monster. I'm telling you right now that uh, they can they can shut down an offense. Um, you know, the Diamondbacks have a very good starting pitching as well, so there's, it's it's not going to be easy, obviously, to get to the promised land. But um, you know, obviously, everything runs through. I think my in my mind, I think everything runs through Atlanta and oh, LA gosh, yes. because these yeah. these two teams are dynamic. Oh, the the Braves are unbelievable this year. Yeah. They score nine runs every day. It's 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 incredible. Ben Davis is our best our guest. Excuse me. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Davis NBCS. I want to ask you a little bit about what you think is going to be the postseason uh, lineup. Um, Pache's kind of struggled since since he's come back up. Rojas is tremendous on defense, tremendous, and I think holding his own at the plate. He's certainly, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, exceeded what I might have thought he was going to do. Um, what do you think is the best construction for lineup in the playoffs? Is it Harper in first and Rojas in center and Schwarber at DH, and then everything is okay? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you're going to again. It's going to have to be a matchup, uh, righty lefty, but. You know, I, I just think Brandon Marsh deserves that opportunity in left field, uh, whether the righty lefty is out there on the mound or not. But I think defensively, that is their best lineup. You go Rojas in center, Cassianos in right, Marsh at uh, left field, Harper at first base, and so on and so forth. And I think that's just, you know, you want that best defense out on the field. And nothing against Kyle Schwarber. He'll be the first one to tell you, yeah, Brandon Marsh is a better left fielder than me. Uh, so I think defensively that gives them the best opportunity to win. And you're right, Rojas is – Pretty darn good out there, and, and he has handled himself offensively uh, pretty well. Um, I would like to see him get a little bit better, you know, getting a bunt down, but it's something they continue to work on on a daily basis, and hopefully that'll be uh, something he gets to gets a little bit better at as as the uh, as his career goes on. But um, I think that that definitely does give them the best defensive opportunity with that alignment. Whether he's DHing or playing left field, Schwarber's going to be the leadoff hitter, Ben. Mm-hmm. To go back to your catching background, put me in the mindset of a pitcher, of a battery, of a pitcher and catcher, when a hitter like Kyle Schwarber is leading off. It's something, obviously it's been a a big discussion topic in Philadelphia for two years now. Can you have this guy lead off? Should you have this guy lead off? To, To have a hitter who can hit the ball 450 feet as your leadoff hitter, whether he's hitting 198 or 298, what does that do to the the way that a pitcher and catcher have to approach him as the first hitter of the game? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you just can't look at it like, oh, here's a get-me-over fastball for, for pitch one because he can change the, the, the score in, with one swing of the bat, first pitch of the game. We've seen it how many times this throughout the course of the season, the last couple of seasons. Um, it does change your mindset. It puts the, the defense even more on the defensive because – Listen, I just can't groove one down the middle because 
it's just not the way it is. Kind of like, and I'm not, you know, equating him to Ricky Henderson, but Ricky was a guy, obviously, the most leadoff home runs ever in Major League Baseball history. But he's another guy that, hey, if I walk this guy, then he's going to be on second base. Now, Kyle's not that guy. But it's like, hey, if I throw him down the middle, it could be one nothing in a heartbeat. Um, so it does. I think it's almost like you have to treat it like you're coming up like in a 2-2 count. I think that's how you – I would tell my starting pitcher, hey, he's leading off the game, but we've got to treat this like it's a 2-2 count. You know, you don't want to go full count, but you want to make a good quality pitch to maybe execute right here and get him out because if he's swinging, there's a very good chance he could hit one out of the ballpark. He does change that dynamic, that's for sure. I have a set of statistics I've ever seen in a season. 100 runs, I think 100, excuse me, 100 RBIs, 104 runs, runs, 120-something walks. Yeah. And he's batting 198. I don't even have a comp. There's like nobody. What is it, 208 strikeouts or 207? Yeah, Yeah. it's like I don't. I can't think of anybody in the history of baseball who had numbers like that. He only has 18 doubles. Like, he doesn't hit all that many doubles. I know. It's like, but he's like, who's who's up? Kyle Schwerber's up. I got to watch this guy. Oh, absolutely. He might hit one 483 like we saw the other day. No question about it. It's unbelievable. All right, I got one final question for you. Uh, I'm playing, uh, and and, and Mike's going to roll his eyes here, and that's okay. The other day I'm doing my my, uh, infinite grid, right, which I do Uh every day. And it came up, Padres, Mariners. And you know who I plugged right in there? Who's that? That's you. Mike Cameron. No, well, could have, I guess. <laughs> no, you. You. So here, this is, this is my question. Because I, I'm, I'm a seamhead, baseball geek, stratomatic player, all, you know, all that stuff. And I have been addicted to this thing since it came out. Mm-hmm. And I found out that, like, there are a decent number of players who actually are, are into, the, into the grid. Is this something, the Immaculate Grid, I call it the Infinite Grid, excuse me, the Immaculate Grid, is this something that has crossed your attention and do you have any interest in ever doing it? Because you could put your teammates in all day. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know what? I've, I've seen the posts. Um, to be honest with you, it doesn't really interest me a whole oh, lot. I, I now I, and, boy, do I, and, do I feel put down here. No, 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 no. I, I think it's great because, I, you know, I love any, anything that kind of stimulates the mind. It's just – I, honestly, Glenn, I have so much going on in my life, right, you, you know, go. with the four kids running around. Yeah. And like, Ben does not have time for your little games. <laughs> yeah, boy, maybe no. sounds stupid. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. I think it's great that people do it. I think it's cool to see the names of, you know, different teams they played with and, and trying to match it up. Yeah. I, I think if I had a little bit more time, I would love to do it. I just, I just haven't gotten into uh, it personally. It. And, uh, but, okay. uh, uh, next, can I just tell you something? Yeah. Next sure. time it comes up. Padres, Mariners, uh, White Sox, right? You play for the White Sox, didn't White you? Sox as White well. Sox, yep. yeah. Guess who I'm not using? Uh, that's it. <laughs> Davis can, is out. Mike, Mike Cameron. Cameron Mike Cameron's the other one. That's right. Yeah, yeah I'll use Cameron. Right. Davis yeah. is out. He'd get you the Mets, too. I mean, it'd be great. There you go. Yep. All right. Well, Ben, listen, despite that put down, it is always a pleasure <laughs> uh, to talk to you. Follow him on Twitter uh, at Ben Davis NBCS or follow him on TV. When are you working next? I'm working today. I'll be back in the studio for pre and post. Unfortunately, we lost uh, two more national games. Thursday night was uh, Fox, and yeah, last night was yeah. Apple TV. So I know back on our channel today. So that's, that's good. good. And we think we're going to get it in. What do we think? Uh, it's looking okay around four o'clock, but who knows? First, I mean, it's, first pitch six forty or whatever. What time's first? No, pitch? it's a four o'clock game. Oh, today. it is a four o'clock. Yeah. Game. yeah. Oh, you'll get yeah. it in. Yeah. There you go. There may yeah. be a rain. There's a window, too. Ben. They're saying there's a window. There's a window. There you it's go. in Montana, but there's a window. Right. <laughs> All right, Ben. Always a pleasure, man. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Right, thanks, Ben. There you, there you go. If I had more.
I had time to waste, I would do your silly game. He's, he's at the Melbourne Prep football, man. football game last night. Come on. Forget about the football game. Do the erroneous, immaculate, whatever grid it, you're doing. It takes 15 minutes. It's I, not, know. I, I know. I, I am addicted to the damn thing. You, you and Tyler and Kepner, it, my friend Tyler, at The Athletic, yeah. go back and forth on yeah. Twitter with it. We do every day. It's yeah. amazing. I, I beat him like once every two weeks. Well, Tyler knows as much or more about baseball than any person on the planet. Yeah, I'm Thank not you. ashamed to, to finish yeah, second to y- Tyler exactly, Kepner. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's just a savant when it comes to that stuff. He's been immersed in it since he was a kid. Pulled out some good names today while we were doing the show. <laughs> there, you, look at that. there you go. Let me see. There you go. Well, it's unfair that you were there watching them. And now they've like like I don't know half the players you what put do you mean on. I was there watching them. Like like all the guys you include, and my dad does it too, and they all have one percent because no one else puts them in. Ben, there's very few moments when when being older works to your advantage. <laughs> okay? It does there. You're right. The world passes by pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I'll take those I can. And by the way, today I used Rogers Hornsby. I did not. I know as old as I may seem, I did not see Rogers Hornsby play live. Okay? <laughs> you did. I bet you in the saw 1920s. Jim Hickman. Jim Hickman was on there. I bet you saw him when I was a little kid. I had. You know what? For, for me, it's all baseball cards. You, this is remembering my baseball cards from my youth. You, I should start playing because for me, when I saw Jick, Jim Hickman, I yeah. thought of All Star Baseball, the game where you would spin the spinners yeah, and each player cards very me, similar to Stratomatic. Stratomatic. Yeah. That's yeah. Which I. Still play. Yeah. <laughs> the furthest back I got today was Jeff Kent from the early 2000s. God, you're well, such okay. a baby. You're so, such a baby. No, no, no. Because here's what I will not accept, Ben. This is Ben Kenny, our fine producer. It's it's like there is somebody who works at this station who says, I will not watch a movie that was made before I was born. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Right? And it's like. I think I know who that is. That's Elliot. And I say, Elliot, <laughs> you're a dope because the world is great. Great things existed before you were born. Great works of art. Like, you don't want to see the Mona Lisa because it was painted 200 years before you were born. Great movies were made before you were born. Great TV. And in the case I'm telling you, baseball existed before Ben Kenny. And so going back and learning the game back then is not a bad thing. It's part of this generation that thinks the sun doesn't shine until they wake up. Well, I don't want to lump Ben in with that. No, you know, Ken Burns baseball. I've gone through all that. I took a class with Bud Selig in college to do the All whole right, okay. history. I've I've tried. All right, but so it Jeff so you Kent know is who, the best you got yeah, today. Yeah, Joe Adcock. Come on, that doesn't work for I'm when you're to trying it. to trying to pull names out of your head to put them uh, in the grid. It works for me. I, I go back to you know when Joe Buck was calling the World Series in 2002. That's the earliest I can go. Okay. Wow. Right. Well, it's, there's not a lot of things that I will brag that I know better than most people mm-hmm. but baseball history and baseball arcana and that stuff like you you name a, a team from like the 1940s I can probably give you 10 guys who played for it I, I will say this and this is not in and any... by the way I was not alive in the 1940s no, just I... to clarify that <laughs> this is not in any way directed to Ben Kenny it is one of my pet peeves though to see to read an article or a social media post about something that's happening nowadays and the word unprecedented is used right yeah and it's like no, this happened in 1965, yeah. which really wasn't all that long ago. Right, these things have happened. Lots yeah. of things in the world happened. Lots of great things occurred and so on. And go back. Elliot, go back and watch damn movies before you were born. I, I, it annoys me. Me too. I have to tell you. All right, all right, I stand down. Good. All right, good. There will be a signed reading. 215-592-9494. <laughs> 
Uh, thanks to uh, Ben Davis for he coming. He was terrific. On. Yeah, he's always good. Always good. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, hey, we got room for your calls. We're here till one o'clock, and no more guests, no more features. Want to talk to you on 94 WIP. Along with Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. By the way, he's tree top of the hour. Jody Mack coming up at 1 o'clock. I was with Jody last night. Uh, I think I told you this earlier mm-hmm. in the show, but for those in here, uh, we did a, uh, when we did the Fransky in L.A. beer release, we did a party and a very nice guy named Pat. Uh, McLaughlin. Yeah, bought uh, a night drinking beer with Jody and I, and we did, and. I will tell you one thing about Jody, man. <laughs> Jody can tell a joke yeah. really, really well. He he had a three-part joke that he told. It was like five-minute long, but like three times during it, there's uproarious laughter, <laughs> including in the end he draws a picture. So It was great. So my nine-year-old, I have a favorite joke. And it is a long, involved, three-part joke, uh-huh. which I'm not going to tell now because okay. it would take too long. But I love telling it. My nine-year-old has heard it often enough that he was at a friend's house last week, and he remembered it to tell the friend and the friend's parents. Oh, nice. And he pulled it off. Pulled it off. Nice. Which I was very proud of him there you go. for that. Young uh, Shecky Green. Yeah, a little bit. A little okay. bit. Anyway, <laughs> I do appreciate Jody for uh, coming out last night for that. All right, Mike Sielski, uh, a couple of things. The mm-hmm. Eagles, uh, we we haven't had the uh, chance to talk about an Eagles game since whatever, last week, uh, and when that actually happened. For people who need an update on our stupid football bet, why don't I hand that to you? Oh, fine. Why don't you explain what the bet is? This so year? the stupid football bet. I'm going to sit down take a couple minutes off, polish my fingernails. Is who will have more sacks by the end of the season? I took Hassan Reddick. Glenn took every University of Georgia alumnus who plays on the Eagles. Glenn so far is ahead 2.5 sacks to zero. Now, I think Hassan Raddick is is going to happen soon. And, yeah. And, you know, like the, 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 the cork's going to come off the bottle and it's going to happen. Uh, so I have f- full faith that he's going to still remain and, and have a good year. But I got to tell you, Jalen Carter – Jordan Davis, those two guys, my two young pups. Yeah, for all the concerns about the Eagles' defense through the first two games, uh-huh. those two guys look great. They look great. Yeah. yeah. Well, the whole defensive line looks really good. Yeah, and, uh, it's, and without Hassan Reddick getting a sack, the defensive right. line looks really. And it's good. had to be because the linebackers mm-hmm. and safeties have not been great. They have not, and they have a lot of injuries, and we're going to have to see how that plays out. Uh, but Mike, I hold in my hands. Mm-hmm. Always part of the gig, man. Been yep. doing this for a lot of years. <laughs> a folded piece of paper. And mm-hmm. on this piece of paper is the exact final score that you will find Monday night. I was going to say tomorrow. Monday night mm-hmm. when the Eagles play 7-15 kickoff on that baby. Yeah, I like that. I'm sure. He- I like that. As somebody who has to wake up at 6 in the writing, morning. Are you going to be writing off of I am not. I'm You're not, not going to the game. One. Okay. But as someone who has to wake up early yeah. with his kids for school, I'm very pleased you know with the 7-15 I, start. I think if they – Asked everybody, well, everybody, what time they want Monday Night Football to start. Seven fifteen would win by a lot. Of course, I only want to pull people east of the Mississippi. Exactly. Yes. Four fifteen game in. LA I don't care about or, keep people yeah. in California. Screw them. It's the Eagles against <laughs> Tampa Bay. They have no say here. This is true. Anyway, it's a seven fifteen kickoff on Monday Night Football, and on this piece of paper is the exact final score. I would like you to give your prediction first and then see what reality shows. So my prediction is that I'm a little surprised at by 
the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. and I think a lot of people around the NFL are surprised that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. and Not that Todd Bowles, their head coach, isn't a good coach. I think he is. Uh, it's simply a matter of, hey, Baker Mayfield, you know, who nobody really wanted him last year, got stuck on the Rams toward the end of the season, and has played pretty well through two games. And the Buccaneers do have two terrific wide receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Uh, it's going to be incumbent upon that Eagles defensive line to pressure Mayfield, uh, to hold that passing game down. You give Mayfield time, those guys are going to get open. Could be a problem. I don't think it will be that big a problem. As a lot of callers suggested today, I think the Eagles offense is going to bounce back pretty well. Uh, they may not score as much as they did against the Vikings, but I think they'll look better, particularly throwing the ball. Eagles 28 Buccaneers, 17. Eagles, 28. Buccaneers, 17. And I have... Eagles, 30. Buccaneers, 17. Yeah, I mean, we're in the same page here, right? Yeah, yeah How about that? Um, Tampa Bay is going to score some, and the Eagles secondary is a little bit, is a lot worrisome. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Evans is a terrific receiver, and Godwin's no slouch himself. Baker Mayfield is having a good season, but it's going to take me a lot more to be sold on Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's trash, but I certainly don't think Baker Mayfield is one of the top 15 quarterbacks in the league. So I think uh, the Eagles' defensive line will continue to shine and get to him. I know their line's been playing pretty well, but I think the Eagles' defensive line is going to get to him. Uh, I'm going to put an over-under in sacks. I'm going to go high. Four and a half sacks wow. for the Eagles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll divide them, you and I. We can I divide them among say, our I, guys. My, my feeling is that Hassan Reddick will probably have three, three and a half of those. Uh, two, but fine. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so I think they're going to get to him. And the Eagles offense, which so many people are so worried about, including the person standing five feet to my right, <laughs> is going to shine and revert to form, and A.J. Brown's going to catch a touchdown pass. And not yell at anybody? Nah, that, (laughs) since you brought it up. Yeah. I get that it was caught on national TV, and at the time it looks kind of bad because we've seen those things in the past, and sometimes they can be bad. I mean, the Donovan Terrell Owens one was. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, foreshadowed a whole, you know, breakup of, of the team, and that meant a lot. I don't think this one did. I think this one was just like in the moment a guy was frustrated and said it, and that happens. Did you think it was more than that? No, but I don't think the Eagles and A.J. did themselves any help by, from A.J.'s standpoint, leaving the locker room that night before he had a chance to explain himself, before he decided to explain himself. Now, he said the other day, I was really worked up. I was really fired up. I I needed it to cool down. I didn't want to talk to you guys in the media before I had cooled down. That's all fine and good, but when a receiver shows anger on a sideline toward the quarterback and then doesn't talk about it, it's natural to presume that the incident was pretty serious. And then you had Nick Sirianni and Devontae Smith basically saying, what incident? What the heck happened? Well, yeah, I don't even Nick know what you're talking about. it happened was foolish. It was I, foolish yeah. because it made I, it look like you're covering something I saw something this up. with my damn eyes. Yeah. yeah, come on. I get that. Um, and so they didn't all handle it well, but I don't think it, it really meant anything after. I don't think, like... You know, anybody was stewing the next day. No, A.J. Brown is not a bad teammate. He's just yeah. not. No, um, agreed. Not even by the standards of a wide receiver where you say, oh, you put up with some <laughs> right. stuff. Like, right. he's not a bad teammate. Yeah, he wants the ball. Right. They all do. They all want the ball. Yep. So, I'm not worried about 
that going forward. Well, he's catching a touchdown pass this game, and it's going to be something over 40 yards. Okay. okay. And Devontae Smith is going to catch a touchdown. And Jalen Hurts is going to throw for 250 yards, and he's going to run for 75 yards and a touchdown. And all of the concerns, the, the offense isn't what it was because it hasn't been. I mm-hmm. get it. It's going to work in this game because things revert to form, and this is a very good team with a dynamic offense. The fact that they can run the ball for 250 yards against the Vikings, I mean, I'm really impressed by that. They can do a lot of things, and they will. And this one, I think, is going to be pretty pretty easy. This one's going to be a no-sweat kind of game. People are going to be able to go to bed comfortably that night with the Eagles winning by double digits. I think you're probably going to be right. I will say this, and this interests me as somebody who follows the league as a whole, which is that if the Buccaneers manage to beat the Eagles, I am very curious to take it out of the realm of Philadelphia for a second, what the discussion will be around the league with respect to Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, and the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Because if you're the Cleveland Browns, you gave up on Baker Mayfield, who was the number one pick in the draft, and basically mortgaged your entire team to go get Deshaun Watson, who we already know is not a saint on earth, and who has not been a good quarterback since no, he got there by all, at all. Mm-mm. So that, to me, is curious. I, again, I don't think the Buccaneers will win the game, but if they do, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what the discussion around the league is, is like in the wake of Baker Mayfield playing well and Deshaun Watson not playing well. Cleveland Browns. Didn't they? They were Cleveland one opener against Cincinnati, right? Did they? I yes. Think, okay. And so in Cleveland, they're thinking, like, hey, you know what? Maybe things turn around this year finally. Then they lose Nick Chubb for the season. Yep. And then Deshaun Watson, who you said, isn't looking good at all. And it's like Cleveland Browns got a Cleveland Brown. Yeah. It is. That's like that's that's. You think of the teams that it would be just horrible to be a fan of for your life, like you're committed to that team. That's That team is at the top of the list. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be. I mean, put aside all the character problems with Deshaun Watson, like there's a good argument to be made that he was never good enough for them to go all in on him the way no, he did. No, not for that. Even if he were a great human being. No, fully guaranteed? It's crazy. Yeah. 215-592-9494. We now have our predictions on the game. We're not sweating it. At least today. It's Saturday. We'll see what happens on Monday. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. It is that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another cold, long winter season rolls in. And the great people at Guide Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, guess what? You save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply for full details. Call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com.
Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now 94 WIP. Uh, Jody Mack will be up next around 1 o'clock. Might be a couple minutes late. We'll see what happens with Jody. Today got stuck in a little traffic. Uh, and tomorrow morning, actually, Jody and I think Al Morgani are doing the morning. Ah. I am taking my final uh, Sunday Phillies home game off. Nice. So I will... You got a busy day tomorrow. Though. Oh, I got a busy day today and tomorrow. So we got the... Three-year-old uh, grandson's coming over today. Nice. He'll be there uh, nice. at 3.34. So, uh, so, all right, so he comes over at about 4 o'clock. Yeah. Goes to bed at about 9. Well, Pops, in the, in the middle, uh, Pops is cooking grilled cheese sandwiches and uh, tomato soup. That's okay. Big plan tonight. All right, so comes over at 4. Grilled yeah. cheese sandwiches around 5.36? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, grandson goes to bed at 9? Uh, hopefully a little earlier. Okay. Some, sometime in the 8 o'clock All hour. right, so let's say 8.30. Yeah. Pops is in bed by nine fifteen because he's just exhausted uh, and wiped Pops out. Pops is probably going to grab a scotch, you know, <laughs> sit down and relax. But yeah, listen, three year uh, three year olds are great mm-hmm. because they he's ex- he gets excited about everything. Yeah, right. It's not like he sits there like a lump. Like anything is new and interesting, and so and he loves to talk and do stuff, mm-hmm. and so he's great. But like. He's they're always moving. They're, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at three, you don't just like, hey, go sit over there and do no, that. no, it's no. Like, they're they're all hummingbirds. Yeah, they're all on. just moving yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got that tonight, which is nice. Uh, tomorrow I'm taking him out for brunch nice. and delivering him back to his parents. Okay, here, <laughs> you got it, guys. You got him. That's the blessing of being a grandfather or grandmother. Is you just give them back to their moms and dads. And tomorrow I'm going to the Players Club of Swarthmore to see the matinee of Fiddler on the Roof. Nice. And then tomorrow night, uh, rehearsal for the play that I'm going to be in, which is Young Frankenstein. Tomorrow's dance rehearsal. And I got to tell you. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, you see, my back is yeah, you, you've being been... a little bulky these days. Yeah. So uh, we'll yeah. see my, my, what my dancing is. I'm going. not looking for Barishnikov level movements. No, here. listen, they put me, there's 26 people in this production. If you come to see it, and I certainly hope you do. I am planning to come to see okay. it and bringing friends. Great. And hopefully my, my kids as well. PCSTheater.org, buy your tickets. But if you do come to see it, look toward the back. Because <laughs> they wisely put the good dancers in the front, mm-hmm. right? And they put me in the back, which is okay with me. Well, you've got a much busier weekend ahead of you than I have. Yeah, what do you got going? I have nothing going on. Yeah, you the watching Baratsky last night, that was it? it? That was pretty much it. Give me the um, name one more time. Nate uh, Bergazzi. Bergazzi. Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm telling you, watch his specials. They're really I'm, funny. That the kid goes to sleep early enough tonight. There you go. Fin- By the Perfect. way, Phillies, game at four. It's still planning to get the first pitch there. Gates open what time, Ben? 2.35. 2.35. So yeah. there you go. For those very eager to... Get out there in Get the weather. Get there and sit in the uh, rain. Yeah, you got your tickets. What are you going to do? You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, so I what do you got going? I have nothing going on. I'm going to try to see my dad who just got out of the hospital a couple yeah, of days ago. Yeah, best wishes to him. Thank you. And that's it. I, I'm going to be working on the book that I'm writing. I'm looking forward Monday morning to my ne- second voice lesson. Yeah, you learn how to sing. Um, it's funny. You and I are both taking singing lessons. I know. What are the odds of that? Well, in the history of WIP, I'm not sure anybody has ever taken singing lessons. We're doing it at the same time. Give us six months, and we will do this show. Yeah, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. <laughs> or pick your favorite. We'll do it like Hamilton. You know, yeah, Hall just... and Oates. Oh, yeah, the patter of Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. That'll be tough. Anyway, let's find out from our producer, Ben Yellen. Ben. Excuse me, not Ben Yeah, I have a friend named Ben Yellen. Yeah. Ben Kenny, what we forgot to talk about today. Yes. Um, I, I was surprised this did not lead the show. The 76ers made the signing of the offseason earlier this week. 
They signed Kelly Oubre Jr., an eight-year vet, 20 points per game average last year, but they got him on a on a minimum deal in mid-September. And now the roster's bolstered and the championship is back on. Yeah, you Ke- go first. Kelly Oubre, who has never met uh, a shot he didn't like, Who's a volume? I mean, volume shooter. He mm. averaged twenty points a game last year for Charlotte. I think it was basically shooting every time he touched it. Look, they they don't know what they're getting out of him. They're taking a flyer on a guy who they're not playing paying very much. So so where where are they with Harden? From what I understand, they really don't know whether Harden is co- is going to report to training camp or not. Which puts them yeah, which yeah. puts them in an incredibly difficult position. Because there's playing with James Harden and how you have to play with him as the centerpiece of your offense. And then there's playing without James Harden, in which case Tyrese Maxey becomes your point guard. And you're going to have to live with the growing pains of him being an NBA point guard for the first time. So, yeah, they're in a tough spot. All right. May I say something about the Sixers? Sure. That owner, I, he he annoys me, mm. Harris, more than any owner in this town since Norman Brayman which, Ben, predates you by a lot. I'm sure your dad will curse Norman Brayman if he gets the chance. Uh, he was the, the cheap owner of the Eagles back in the day. Um, so Josh Harris, as we know, bought the, the Washington uh, uh, Commanders. Yes. And he goes the other day, I think it was two nights ago, to uh, to the, the ballpark, the empty baseball park. Yes. Throws the first pitch and says – Something along like this is one of the most moving experiences of my life. The passion of the fans here is like yeah. so. First of all, there's 12 people in the park. Okay, there were more at the Scott Rowland thing yesterday than there were for this game down in Washington. And he, it just, I know, a lot of people give me pushback on this and say you shouldn't care about what the owner does outside of here. But I cannot get my arms around a guy owning the Sixers, owning the New Jersey Devils, and owning the Washington Commanders. It's just fundamentally wrong to me, and I just can't stand this guy. By the way, he did get the handshake right this time. He did get the handshake right. Which was the first. And his first pitch was better than Stephen A. Smith's. Oh. Well, Stephen A., man, he threw it into the ground. He really did. It was almost like he was a shortstop from deep in the hole at Riverfront Stadium or Veterans Stadium where they would, Boa and Dave Concepcion would purposely bounce it on the turf to get it there. Oh, yeah. That's what it looked like. Oh, it was terrible. Uh, I'm not so convinced about that. We know how great Stephen A. is at staying in the news. Oh, you think it he, was? He did it on purpose. He wanted something to lead his show with, apologizing, quote-unquote, but so people would tune in. Wow. Could be. Quick quick story, Glenn. You may we, be right. We were talking about comedy and impressionists throughout the show today. Mm-hmm. I once saw, and you mentioned how great Joe Conklin was. I saw Joe Conklin before Game 7, I think it was. Might have been a different playoff game, but before a Sixers playoff game, at the Wells Fargo Center now, Wachovia Center then, stand in front of Stephen A. Smith and Mike Kern, the former writer from the Daily News, and do an impression of each of them at the same time in front of them. Oh, that's great. As if they were having a I've heard the Kern. I've heard this. Yeah, it was great. incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. That's great. All right, Ben, what else did we forget to talk about today? Well, speaking of the commanders, you brought them up. They're 2-0, and and their offense looks impressive. With Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy, who went over there. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Giants, who just lost to the Niners, they're one and two, but they've been outscored by I think fifty-five points. Mm-hmm. Like even their win, the comeback against the Cardinals, is, like they've not impressive in the slightest. Yeah. The Cowboys are good. 
But at the bottom, it's like a little trading places situation where the Giants were good last year and the Commanders kind of stunk. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like they've reversed course. Well, in fairness, the NFC East did not have a team with a losing record last season, I don't believe. I think the Commanders went 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one despite Carson Wentz's best efforts. Huh. So uh, the division is okay, and if they get anything out of Howell as their quarterback, I mean, he's a fifth-round pick. It, it's almost like a repeat of the Brock Purdy situation in San Francisco. They have a pretty good defense. And, Glenn, I know we've said this before, for all your dislike of Josh Harris, he's not Daniel Snyder. And he's that organization is going to be better just for not having Snyder there. Well, that's true. I, I mean, listen, Daniel Snyder was is to my way of thinking an evil man. Okay, mm-hmm, he's, sure. I mean, he's a oh, fundamentally he's, yes. bad human being, and I'm Josh Harris's sins are different than yes. that. You know, the, the Josh Harris, I don't want to imply is is guilty of any of those things, and. Uh, Daniel Snyder was completely inept as an owner yes. and didn't know how to sign Awful people and what to way. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hired bad people and so on, and Josh Harris will be better than that. Josh Harris just... He rubs you raw. Well, I don't think he's a good owner uh, in the sense that I think the Sixers made one really good pick with Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. And other than that, what what have the Sixers done in the last 10 years? You can say, like, see, this guy knows what he's doing. What have they done? I mean, they're a perennially they're perennially a playoff team because of Joel Embiid. Because of Joel Embiid, uh, they're certainly more relevant around the NBA and in the city than they were for the ten years before he got there. Because of Joel Embiid, he hasn't found a coach that he has. I think on. that happens more often in sports than we like to acknowledge. I think the Cleveland Caval- Cavaliers became relevant not because they got smart, but because of LeBron James, and that's that happens a lot. The, the New England, nobody. Okay, but I'm, par- not, I'm not going to say that Josh Harris is in any way a good owner. I'm to not paraphrase uh, a line from The Dark Knight Rises, nobody cared about the New England Patriots until Tom Brady put on the mask. Nobody cared about the genius of Bill Belichick until they got Brady. Nobody thought Robert Kraft was a model owner until they got Tom Brady. So, you know, you can, you can say that. I, I, I'm not saying Josh Harris is a great owner. I'm just saying players make all the difference. They Allow do. me my okay. intense... <laughs> Dislike. Disdain. Disdain. There you go. That's the word. All right, one more there, Ben Kenny. Uh, So you mentioned ineptitude. The Chicago Bears had quite the week. Oh, yeah. And it's in the Midwest on the other side of the country. First, they lose uh, to Tampa Bay last weekend. Then Justin Fields in a press conference kind of puzzlingly says that he hasn't been coached well or the coaching could be the the issue. It's it's not not me. It's the coach. Not good. Um, So that was followed with their defensive coordinator stepping down for reasons that we still don't totally know. Nothing's come out about that, right? No. Okay. Uh, There was a report that the facility got raided and that was shot down immediately. That was false, yes. That seems to have not happened. Um, But then what did happen is that $100,000 worth of equipment was stolen from their facility. Here's here's what really bothers me about this story is coverage of pro sports and the NFL in particular is loaded with insiders who get leaked information and who report information solely based on executives and agents and players wanting them to report this information. Right, dropping nuggets. Then you have a story like this where the Bears defensive coordinator resigns abruptly does so on a in a letter that looks like it was printed out in Microsoft Word. It's not on company letterhead or anything. He just vanishes, and none of these insiders can get to the bottom of this. No one's trying to find out what is going on with this team. 
What, what are you doing? Are great you really point. covering the NFL? It's a great point. Come great on. Point. Uh, it, it's a great point that, and it's what you started with, their inside information is what executives and agents want to get right. out and use them to, to do that. It's not really report. Well, no, I mean, it is reporting news, it's but it's in a very limited way. Brokering. Yeah. Yeah, it's information absolutely. brokering. Very good point. All right. Uh, you say tomorrow, uh, so Monday, Eagles. 28-17. I say Eagles 30-17. to 17. Should be a comfortable one, and we think it's going to be good. We good with Jody Mack? We're not good with Jody Mack. Okay. Jody's not quite there yet. Okay. So. What else you want to talk? Can we talk about the Scott Rowland thing again? Sure, All absolutely. Right. Hey Ben, play the Scott Rowland thing again. <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard it enough. I want to hear. This is yesterday. The great Dan Baker man, puts I, everything he has into he it. He did, man. You Dan gotta, tried to sell it. And, for effort, right? And this is everybody talked about. What's it going to be like when Rowland comes back? What are we going to? Are we going to applaud? We're going to boo? What are we going to do? And this was the moment when they announced Scott Rowland in the Wall of Fame. Scott Rowland. Yeah, you know, that's fifth place finisher in the local art show getting yeah. announced. That's what that is. <laughs> that's that is uh, Tom Kite at the '87 Masters finishing it two over par. Yeah, that was so telling because what it said to me was, as worked up as everybody got going into this, and and, and mm-hmm. again, I like these people, and I'm, I'm not criticizing the work, but Jason Stark did a huge yeah. piece in the Athletic. What's it going to be like, and why did it happen? And Larry Boa now thinks this, and he's changed his mind. And what could have been? And Scott Lauber did essentially the same kind of thing in the Inquirer. Yeah. And it turns out nobody cares. Nobody about, cares anymore about Scott Rowland because that era of baseball is not one that fans. Nobody cares. Remember. Nobody cares. Yeah. You know, it's like what, right, right. Yeah, it's what Sonny says in the Bronx Tale. Yeah, nobody see, cares. I got it. Is Scott Rowland putting food on your table? No, he is not. It was. An era of Phillies baseball that a lot of fans are too young to remember, which I is not to me saying that you should ignore your history, but this this was not it was bad history. Yeah, yeah, and it was look, it was complicated at the time by the fact that the scuttlebutt around the Phillies getting a new ballpark was starting to grow, and as I mentioned earlier, I wrote a column about this when Roland got into the Hall of Fame this year, and I got pushback from fans who said. Hey, the ballpark was coming. Roland should have weighed, waited it out. He should have wanted to sign with the Phillies, and then everything would have been fine. But the Phillies have been so bad for so long that if you're Scott Roland, why do you think things are going to be different even with a new ballpark? That's fine. I mean, listen, he did stuff when he was here that I, I found. Any, I'll give you one other Roland thing. I guess okay. this is after he left. But mm-hmm. it, 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 it is one of the things that soured me on him as a guy. Okay, Great player. Um, they had Harry Callis Day. They mm-hmm. they honored Harry Callis, and they gave him a, a car, it was a, a convertible. Mm-hmm. In my memory, it was like a red convertible, Phillies red convertible. It was really cool. They brought it out in the field, and the Phillies were playing St. Louis that day. Mm-hmm. And Scott Rowland comes out during the ceremony, and just like foists himself in the middle of it, and and I think he went and sat in the car, and it's like. Mm. What are you doing? This isn't about, <laughs> we don't even like you. Get off the field. This is about Harry Callis. And he sort of inserted himself into okay. that. Yeah, I don't remember that. But yeah, I remember I it. Okay. Hopefully accurately. You know, I remember, sometimes I remember things as I want to remember yeah. them, but I hope they're accurately. <laughs> um, and we're, just, all, we're all there. He just struck me as a moping, sullen kind of guy when he was here. I appreciate 
the history of the team was bad and he wanted to get out and he's not the first or the last right. to do it. And we see, and we applaud if guys do that to another town and come here, mm-hmm. by the way, baseball heaven. Say, yeah, come on. I get it. Do I have to like that? No, you don't have to like that. I mean, look, the Cardinals have been a terrific organization up until this year for a long, long time. Love their losing. But there is an element of St. Louis that's a little like we're wonderful. Yeah. And, and all of that. And yeah. he played into that. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He did. So, anyway, it was most interesting to me that the reaction yesterday was, yeah, so what? Yeah. Hey, good. Hey, yeah, be there. Good. We don't yeah. care. Move because on. there have been so many, there were so many good years immediately after Roland left. Mm-hmm. There was the opening of the ballpark. There was Jim Tomey mm-hmm. coming along. Yep. There was 2005 when Ryan Howard is a rookie and Chase Utley is playing every day. Yep. And J- Jimmy Rollins Jimmy is Rollins. prime. Yep. And it's 2006. And Hamels comes up. Right. right. 2006, Hamels comes up, and Howard's the MVP. And then the division championships and the, and the World Series begin the following year that after a while, I think, to your point, it's like, okay, well, Scott Rowland, we don't have to worry about him anymore. They need now, when they start inducting, adding people to this, just cut it off. Yeah. Anybody yeah. before then, is, yeah. if they should be in, they were in. They put Ron Reed in. Nothing against Ron Reed. But they put Ron Reed in, and like, Really? So well, we're look, done with that. They're a prisoner of their history to a very large degree. And I, I actually wrote about this for the Inquirer after the entire Pete Rose controversy happened mm. last oh. year, <laughs> which was the question was being asked, why are you inviting Pete Rose back? And yeah, the answer did, is they regretted that. Yeah, they did. But the answer is, who else are you going to invite back? There aren't that many great Phillies players over the years. They're not the Yankees. They're not the Red Sox. They're not the Dodgers. So what do you do if you want to bring people into the ballpark? You have to invite the people that the people want to see. You invite the people who have played here in those great eras. It's yeah. it's time. It's funny. The franchise has moved into a new era in terms of how it plays, right? right. And it has a great – and John Middleton has put together just a great roster, right? Uh, but now with your history – just let's move it up. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, hey, great to see you. you Enjoy too. the rest of your weekend. Have Jody Mack is coming up. Thank you, Ben Kenny. Great job by you. Stay tuned. Jody McDonald right here on 94 WIP. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles. And Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid 
plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com.